When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, hello everyone. Welcome along to SEN Summer Mornings. I'm Julian King. Great to have your company on SEN 1170am in Sydney and through the SEN app. Tops of 37 in Old Sydney Town today. Mostly sunny chance of a late thunderstorm. Have you got your Chrissy shopping done yet? You know they say that a bloke can hit the shops on the night of the 24th, smashing out in about an hour or two. And that's it. It's done. They don't think about it. It's indiscriminate spending. It's an art form, I've got to tell you. I've got most of mine done because I'm not what you'd call organised. Plenty happening in the world of sport in the lead-up to Christmas, of course. Headlined by the first test of the summer. Still gives me tingles. Nothing like it. Australia v Pakistan. Coverage right here on SEN immediately following this program. Now, the open line number. I'd love you to join in the conversation today. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. That text line 0457 736 736. Now, on the show today, new Bulldogs recruit Kurt Mann is going to join us. Uh, they're about to head off to a training camp. When I hear pre-season training camp, I just think they're going to be absolutely brutalised. I'll speak to Kurt Mann on the program today. They just sound horrible, don't they? But if I'm a Dogs fan, I'm happy that players are getting put under the pump. They mean business this year, Canterbury. We'll also speak to Simon Cadditch ahead of the first test. Laurie Horish from ESPN will be along to chat all things NFL. And Thursday... I've been really looking forward to this. It means last listener standing quiz day. You know I'm a sucker for a good quiz, so we'll run that today as well. And Betty Riggs from Ponting Wines will be along as he is each and every Thursday. 0457 736 736. But we need to start with the cricket, the first test. Travis Head, well done to him, reappointed Australia's test vice captain for the start of the international summer. Uh, no surprises, by the way, in the Australian eleven, And I don't think anybody was expecting any. So we know Travis Head is fresh off that match-winning hand in the World Cup final. He's been named co-captain alongside Steve Smith. So Steve Smith, by the way, will remain the first option to take over the captaincy reigns if something happens to Pat Cummins. And Paddy did confirm the 11 for tomorrow's test, or today's test, I should say, against Pakistan, and we, as we said, largely as expected. So one change to the most recent side that played in the Ashes finale in August at the Oval. Nathan Lyon, of course, returning in place of Todd Murphy. So the 11 will look like this. Warner, Kawaja, Lubbershane, Steve Smith, Travis Head, Mitch Marsh, Alex Carey, Mitchell Stark, Pat Cummins, Nathan Lyon, and Josh Hazelwood. So there you have the big three pace bowling attack. Cummins, Stark, Hazelwood, they are going to reunite. Fresh off leading Australia to World Cup glory last month. And of course, Dee Warner. All eyes on Dee Warner. He will open the batting after he spent much of the build-up to this match in the spotlight over his place in the team. And in particular from one former teammate, in Mitchell Johnson. Pakistan are going to name their 11 at the toss. In the BBL action last night, the Scorchers, class side, thumped the Stars by seven wickets. The tournament's now going to take a short break uh, for, for the Test match, of course. That's the thing about the Perth Test match. Do you remember back in the day, you're at school, you'd come home and you could watch the cricket till nine? I saw daylight there. How good was that? It got beautiful. Get the last couple of sessions in. It was like manna from heaven, that stuff. Uh, we touched upon this yesterday. Big news, of course, with regards to Usman Kawaja and the messaging on his shoes. And we did say at the time that the ICC had not 
made any decision. Further to that, Cricket Australia had not made a comment. But he will now, Usman Khawaja, not wear his shoes emblazoned with these slogans, referring to the plight of Palestinians caught up in the fighting in Gaza. Pat Cummins had confirmed that. Had confirmed that. Now, he did Khawaja face the possibility of being banned from taking the field in the match if he had worn the shoes that he trained in on Tuesday. So ICC clothing regulations empower the match referee, in this case it was Javagal Sridhar from India, to prevent a player from taking part in a match if they're wearing an item of clothing, sporting a logo or wording that is non-compliant. Any clothing or equipment that does not comply with these regulations is strictly prohibited. The regulation states, in particular, no logo shall be permitted to be displayed on cricket clothing or cricket equipment other than a national logo, commercial logo, an event logo, manufacturer's logo, player's bat logo, charity logo or non-commercial logo as provided by these regulations. And on and on it goes. And if they're aware of clothing that doesn't comply, the match referee will be authorised to prevent that person from taking the field. So that was the threat hanging over the head of Usman Khawaja. So Pat Cummins did confirm at his pre-match press conference yesterday that he would not wear the shoes. And they're all very supportive of Usman Khawaja. And Cummins said, I think it's one of our strongest points as a team. Everyone has their own passionate views and individual thoughts. I don't think his intention is to make too much of a fuss, but we support him. Well, Usman Khawaja responded on social media yesterday. What I've written on my shoes isn't political. I'm not taking sides. Human life to me is equal. No one chooses where they're born. And then I see the world turn their backs on them. My heart can't take it. I already feel my life wasn't equal to others when I was growing up. But luckily for me, I never lived in a world where that lack of inequality was life or death. The ICC have told me that I can't wear my shoes on field because they believe it's a political statement under their guidelines. I don't believe it is so. It's a humanitarian appeal. I will respect their view and decision, but I will fight it and seek to gain approval. Freedom is a human right. Osman Kawaja, you may have heard that a few times this morning. And that was, what, 30 seconds of All Upper over a two-minute clip. And he spoke calmly, emotionally, rationally, I thought. And if you want to hear the whole two minutes, I go... I urge you to go and have a look. You'll find it on most news websites now. Cricket Australia, Cricket Australia, by the way, released a statement backing up the ICC regulations. We support the right of our players to express personal opinions, but the ICC has rules in place which prohibit the display of personal messages, which we expect the players to uphold. I get it. I get it. Because they say political causes, messages for political causes, shall not be granted. So just to recap... At trading, you wore the shoes and a sport of the slogan, freedom is a human right, all lives are equal. The thing about it is, and in that clip too that Kawaja released on social media, it said, I'm not saying that a Muslim life is more important than a Jewish life. He said that. He said this is a humanitarian message. He can't stand idly by while he sees the indiscriminate killing of children. That's what he's saying. And the thing about it is, and this is what makes this whole issue so problematic, players were permitted to take a knee to support the Black Lives Matter movement. We see black armbands all the time. Our colleague Scott Bailey from AAP made the point that in a recent tour, India are allowed to sport camo caps, camouflage caps, as a statement about civil war. And this is the thing, this is, I suppose, what is so 
makes this makes this issue so problematic is that on one hand you're allowed to and on, on in an individual level somebody like Kawaja saying well hang on this is pretty inoffensive this message but I'm not allowed to do it you know as a proud Muslim we know deeply affected by these scenes out of Gaza after Israel retaliated to these Hamas attacks and he said do people not care about innocent humans being killed is the colour of their skin that makes them less important or the religion they practice? These things should be irrelevant if you truly believe we're all equal. And yeah, you know what? And we tend not to get too political on this network. The Hamas atrocities against Israel repugnant and horrific. The indiscriminate retaliation equally horrific. All lives matter. That was his message. It seems all-encompassing here. Now, as we said, Usman's statement, I think, is more humanitarian than political. It's pretty inoffensive. It's hardly what I'd call incendiary or radical. It's not as simple as saying, well, sport and politics don't mix. I mean, that's a bit of a fantasy because they do. You know, try telling that to the Israeli athletes in Munich. Sport is part of government policy. It's integral to international relations. It's a microcosm of society. You know, sport and sports stars don't exist in the vacuum. And yeah, look, I also accept that free speech should not be unfettered. And if you are an athlete, well, you're an employer. They're also entitled to their own value systems. So if it's against the rules, you've got to respect that. Usman is respecting that, but he's not going to stop the fight. And that's what we saw in the Falau case. Your employer is also entitled to their own value systems. But this is no way remotely comparable to the Falau scenario. Far from it. Anyway, he'll fight it. Wouldn't be surprised if he can wear those shoes on Boxing Day. By the way, 0457 736 736. You may have a thought on that. All right. I've got to do it. I've got to, I guess, wrap this up in a neat little parcel. Eddie, Eddie, Eddie Jones. Remember I don't know what you're talking about, mate. I said no, mate. I've had no discussion with him, mate. I haven't been speaking to anyone, mate. Well, I've never had a job offer from Japan, mate. There's no offer. So is Japan an option? I don't know, mate. You have to ask Sydney Morning Herald. They seem to know more than me. Well, we spoke to the Sydney Morning Herald's Tom Deason on Monday. I said the three certainties in life were death, taxes, and Eddie taking the Japan job. 90 days after he first denied links with the Japan head coaching role, Eddie Jones has been told he will be the team's next boss. Apparently impressed in his second interview for the job in Tokyo last Thursday. He was put forward as a preferred candidate by a selection panel. His candidature was ratified at a Japan Rugby Football Union board meeting last night. He'll attend a press conference in Tokyo today alongside JRFU President Masato Tsuchida and the chairman as well. And the JRFU released a statement, the Japan Rugby Football Union is delighted to announce the appointment of Eddie Jones as the new head coach of the Japan national team, the Brave Blossoms. Eddie will officially commence his duties from the 1st of January 2024. I'd love to know how long the contract is. And that closes the chapter on that. Well done, Tom Decent. Nice work. I think we're officially done with the Eddie Jones chat. Much to the delight and relief of our listeners I'm sure, 0457 736 736. Uh, 397, Steve wanted. Did I say Steve wanted, did I? I had a long night. Forgive me. It's like, you know, that joke about the one goat. Now, this is interesting. We've discussed at length, you know, the NRL and trying to get a footprint into that American market. Michael Carianis. The NRL will offer four American athletes potential full-time contracts to join an NRL club as part of an historic rugby league combine to tap into the best male and female talent. So you're casting the net far and wide. So at the official launch of the NRL's historic 2024 season opening doubleheader at Legion Stadium, 
The NRL confirmed plans to fly a representative from each of its 17 clubs to the US-based event in March to run their eyes over potential recruits. So maybe we've got the next Manfred Moore on our hands. Just maybe. And the NRL also revealed it would host a nines tournament for domestic US players and announce partnerships with the UFC and NASCAR. So they're getting busy. Very busy. But it's this chance to form a direct pathway or play a pathway from the US to the NRL, which looms as a significant opportunity for the code. And their boss, Andrew Abdo, said, we're going to be working with local partners. We'll be going out to the male and female college athletes, and they get to apply. The top 50 male and female applicants will come down for an intensive session. We'll have our high-performance team who'll be filtering and monitoring the statistics and the testing on the day. Interesting. Jill Roos coach Brad Donald's going to oversee the, oversee the combine along with the game's high-performance unit. And they'll go through all sorts of fitness drills, skills drills, and the rest of it. And then, from there, the NRL will choose two female and two male athletes and give them an opportunity to travel to Australia to train with teams. Clubs will then be given an option to offer a player a full-time development deal. So there you go. Do you remember that TV show, The NRL Rookie? Remember that? Freddie, MG, and, and I think Adrian Lamb was the other one. And who was the name of the first winner? Lou Goodwin. Lou Goodwin. So it's like a reality show that's a potential pathway into an NRL contract. Luke Goodwin got a contract with the Raiders, as a matter of fact. Didn't play a game, I think. So it will be tough. It will be tough, but you just never, never know. You just never, never know. 0457 736 736. Steve Warner's David's brother, by the way. Uh, Bulldogs veteran Raymond Fatala Mariner has cleared the air on a turbulent 2023, conceding he should have handled things differently during a messy end of the season. So he confronted Coach Cameron Seraldo about his training methods after he'd received complaints from, well, from some of his teammates. And he spoke about it at an open day for the media yesterday. And I think a lot of it, uh, we probably made a bit too much of it. And he did, for Talamara, come out and clear the air in terms of his standing with the club, with Seraldo and also with Phil Gould. Because he, I think, was probably the one that was scapegoated to a degree. And reportedly told he was unwanted by the club. And he said, look, it was a year of learning for all of us. He admitted that he's learned a bit more about leadership and on and on he goes. But he did say the veteran forward, some of the things that were reported weren't entirely true. I wouldn't say there were issues. I don't think there were ever any issues at the club. A few conversations here and there. What I should have done was nail it on the head and said, boys, this is who we are. This is what we've got to buy into. And all this drama... All this drama led to reports that the club was trying to offload for Taylor Mariner with claims that he was told to stay away from training. His name was in the paper. Remember, we all reported on it. But he had crucial chats with the coach, Cameron Seraldo, with the general manager of football, Phil Gould. Smoothed things over. He said it was tough. Things did come out. I had a conversation with the club. They told me it wasn't true. I believed them. So there you go. He said he had a conversation with Seraldo and Gus. Said, no, not true. Took their word for it. And now he's back in the fold, which is good to see. Now, we took the press conference from Shane Richardson yesterday. It was a busy day on the program. And uh, a lot of Tigers fans are delighted with the news of the board change and are very confident that things will look up there at the club. But Shane Richardson, I don't know if you caught it, but go back and have a listen. He caught up with Sats and Jace Matthews on Sports Day last night. He also confirmed now that the Tigers will be out of the race for Adam Fanua Blake. We've withdrawn our offer from Adam Fanua Blake. Why is that, Richo? Is that just based on the salary cap, or is it more a bit of a research around the player? No, I know he's a great player. He's one of the top three front rowers of the game. But, mate, 
you know, you know, we've got a really good. Our forward pack's really strong, and we can add for that through our young players coming through. And we need flexibility in our cap to be able to do things that we need to do to make us stronger now. And from that point of view, it's in my opinion, and and also Benji's opinion, because I wouldn't do it without Benji. It, you know, it's not anything to do with that. It's to, everything to do with where we need to focus our attention on. So there you go. So not long after the Bulldogs officially withdrew from the race for Adam Vanua Blake's signature, now the Tigers are out of the race. So it is a race in two between the Sharkies and my Dragons. The Dragons have officially tabled a four-year, I think it was a $4.5 million offer offer for the boom front rower. So Adam Vanua Blake is a hot property, one of the top three front rowers on the planet. And now it looks like he's destined for either Cronulla or St. George Illawarra. 0457 736 736 is the text line number. Give us your fierce predictions, will you? I think we've got to talk a bit of cricket on the program. Of course, the first test gets underway over in Perth today. I keep sort of subconsciously wanting to say Wacker, even though it is Optus Stadium. As Gideon Haig, the great cricket writer, once said, it has all the, the atmosphere of an aircraft hangar. It's a bit of a soulless venue. Great footy venue. I mean, I've not been there, but from everyone I know that has been there. Not a wonderful cricket venue in terms of spectators. But hopefully the Perth faithful show up after the pleas of their favourite son, Justin Langer, to get out and back the team. And Justin Langer in the West Australian yesterday, oh, I hate it. Two of my great mates, Davey and Mitch, and they're going toe-to-toe in the press and I don't like it. And, you know, you praise publicly, criticise privately, all that kind of stuff. But Mark Taylor, just on David Warner, now, Greg Chappell, who's always worth a read because he's an outside-the-box thinker, he liked the idea of Mitch Marsh opening the batting in the post-Warner era. Mark Taylor's responded to that in the Herald today, saying he reckons Cam Green might be an even better option. And I'm going to speak to Simon Cadditch in the next hour of the program, and I want to get his thoughts too. Because Caddo opened the batting with Shane Watson, and Shane Watson was a you know a middle-order player, all-rounder, who at the end of his career opened the batting and very successfully alongside Simon Cadditch. So it's not to say it can't be done. And Tubby said, look, I think Cameron Green should be given the same consideration to open the batting as Mitch Marsh. Says he's technically better equipped than Mitch Marsh. Obviously, a young player on the rise. It'll give that left-hand, right-hand combination with Kawaja. Wonderful slip in gully field. We've got those bucket hands, Cam Green. Because Australia's not only going to miss Warner's batting, but he's catching the slip. So there's another consideration, is the fielding. But Cam Green, I mean, I've got a lot of respect and a lot of time for Mark Taylor. There's another option. No right or wrong answer, I don't think, but I get Simon Cadditch's thoughts on that because you can see similarities, can't you, between the reinvention of Shane Watson. This is a chance to get Cameron Green, one of the most promising young cricketers we've seen in this country for 50 years, get him back in the side. And if you have him and Marsh playing, well, there's that bowling option as well. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy, the open line number, 0457 736 736. Uh, look in the crystal ball. How's day one going to play out? Give us your fearless and bold predictions for the test match day one, or indeed all five days of the test. Anything else you want to talk about? Your thoughts on Usman Kawaja? Want to hear those as well. We can have a civil debate on that in the program over the course of the next three hours. 0457 736 736. Up and running for this Thursday morning. Julian King in the chair for Matty White on Summer Mornings. Jules in the chair, Summer Mornings. Stingray on the text line. Can't wait for the match today. Yes, first rock, 1.20pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. Are you based in Queensland? Oh yeah, Stingray. For all the solar panel Pat's woke antics, it's been a hell of a year. Test Championship, Ashes, ODI World Cup. Come on, Aussie, come on. Well... I think I'll say to that Stingray. Just remember after they lose a match, I go, they're too woke. If they were more woke, maybe they would have won the Ashes outright. I'm just saying. 
If you win a Test Championship, retain the Ashes and win the ODI World Cup, um, I'm not sure wokeism is exactly the hurdle that people are saying it is. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. the open line we go. G'day, Chris. G'day, Jules. Look, mate, just a few things. Shane Richardson's comments about mm. Camille Blake being one of the top three props in the game. Um, I wouldn't categorically say... I mean, he's a very good player, don't get me wrong, but Jesus, a few contenders. So I think Penrith have got a couple up front and uh, you've got uh, Big Tino and you've got Payne Haas. And, yeah. um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of good props out there. I think Fisher-Harris, if I had anybody, I'd have hit fisher I mean... Oh, he's a golden boot, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Chris, there's so many good ones. You know, it's all subjective. That you know, Most people have yeah. Vanilla Blake probably in their top three with, with Fisher, Harris and Payne Haas, but you're right. I mean, you know, Campbell Gillard and Junior Barlow and Tino, there's a lot of great front rows out there. You're right. Yeah. This, yeah. And uh, I think his partner in crime at Penrith is a pretty handy prop forward as well. So, um, yeah. But... Um, just looking at, I just want to make a comment about this whole Osman Kalaja situation. I think mm. really what he's doing is just echoing the sentiments of a lot of people who don't even have take sides on this. But the United Nations, for one, who is de- demanding us, yeah, wanting a ceasefire. The Australian government, another one. Um, and I cannot for the life of me understand if they're going to deny him in this test from. Um, this, uh, any displays. Uh, what happens come Boxing Day? You said come Boxing Day, it may be a different situation. And well, they're going to they're they're going to keep fighting the good fight. They're, they're going to keep they're going to try and seek ICC approval. The thing is, Chris. Look, general question I'll ask people. It's it's so inoffensive. You know, it's not like it's yep. not the Moen Ali situation where he makes specific reference to Palestine and Gaza. Right? Is it more offensive or inflammatory than a Black Lives Matter logo? that had been sanctioned by the ICC. Or, you know, Marnus has an eagle on his bat. That alludes to his favourite Bible verse. You know, what what he's saying, is it more offensive than that? I don't think it is. You might argue no, the case, yeah, it's political, because he made no mistake that it's in reference in particular to these retaliatory attacks on, on Palestine. I get that. But it's not what I'd call radical. No. No, I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's basically, like I said, it's the way a lot of us feel. Most of us feel we just want to see the an end to this lunacy. Um, and I, I, for the life of me, cannot understand uh, the stance being taken on, on this issue today. And I don't understand. I don't see how they can change their mind uh, come Boxing Day now if they've made the stance in this test. If It, it doesn't make sense to me how they can say, no, you can't do it in Perth. But you can do it at the MCG. Um, that makes no sense at all. Yeah. Well, we'll wait and see. They're going to prosecute the case. All right. Thank you, Chris. Got to fly. Cheers. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. James, sit tight, mate. We'll get to you after the news headlines, and then after that, we'll catch up with the Bulldogs' new recruit, Kurt Mann. Welcome back to the program. We'll catch up with Kurt Mann from the Bulldogs shortly on the show. Wild Panther, good morning to you, JK. Summer starts today. You're absolutely right. First test is the official start of the summer. Test cricket is here, the best form of the game. No argument from me. Well, Panther, the T20 so far this year has been extremely underwhelming. I like the T20, but it's eminently forgettable, though, isn't it? You just roll into the next one. It's a bit of popcorn, but you talk about great innings, great bowling performances. You're not talking about great T20 innings, are you? It's all about the test stuff. Good on you, Craig. Enjoy the cricket today. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Hi, James. Hey, Julian. Um... Regarding Kawaja's shoes, 
You're right. Um, with the ICC and Cricket Australia endorsing all these Black Lives Matter kneeling and all this, that's the hypocrisy when they're do- not doing it now, when they're saying you can't do it now. But then you got the hypocrisy of the players saying, oh, yeah, all lives matter. Well, wasn't that long ago only black lives matter? Why didn't they take a stand back then and said, no, all lives matter then? Then now, you know, well, no, we've been saying that the whole time, all lives matter. It's just, well, Michael Holding, just, just on that, James, to clarify that, because a lot of people raise the point, oh, no, it's not just black lives, all matters, all lives matter. Michael Holding came out and said, he said, look, we're not saying that other lives don't matter too. The message of Black Lives Matter is we matter as well, right, in relation to discrimination and brutality and the rest of it, right? So, And, and so what Kawaja is saying is that all lives matter because he feels like there's been a disproportionate coverage. Well, I don't want to speak out of verse for Kawaja, you know, with regards to Israel's retaliation for the Hamas attacks, you know, and you see the footage of the kids dying. So, well, you know, to the point where now his message is, largely in step with that of the Australian government. Right. And as I said, you know, we'll go down this rabbit hole and I'll get called woke or whatever, but which I don't care. But, you know, these things that are political, these things are sticky, they're tricky, they make people uncomfortable. And this particular issue too, James, you know, anything concerning yeah. the Middle East, you know, it gets people riled well, up. People are sensitive. You got me there, Jules? Well, here's one thing I don't believe. If you're playing in a team representing your country, you represent your country, you play sport, your personal views and points of views and opinions should not become out in the team arena. If you're playing sport and representing only yourself, then you ha- then you can because that's your personal opinion and you're only representing you, like, say, a tennis player. But yeah. if so if he's a, a tennis player, that's like, is that okay, is it, James? Well, that's their own personal opinion. They're not representing yeah. a country. Well, they kind of are on their own. Yeah. Anyway, James. James, mate, always good to chat. I've got to fly. I've got to get to Kurt Mann. Thank you. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. It is 24 to 10. Well, the Mighty Bulldogs have been busy with their off-season recruitment drive, bolstering their squad with high-quality utilities and first-graders. And one player who I'm sure will be a very important cog in that machine is utility, Kurt Mann. And I'm pleased to say he's on the line right now. G'day, Kurt. Hey, mate. How you going? Good. Tell me how life's like at the Bulldogs. You've been busy off-season, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, only been here two and a half weeks now. So, um, you know, it's been really good. It's been a, been a really good change for me. Uh, everyone at the club has been really welcoming. And it's a very tight-knit group. So, um, they've all made me feel really welcome and made it pretty smooth. Did did you know many of the boys before we headed to the kennel? Um, only only a handful, really. Eh? I played a bit of footy. I've, you know, I've been to a few different clubs, so I've played, played a bit bit of footy with a few of them. But um, majority, probably not. Eh? I haven't really had too much to do with them. We had your coach Cameron Seraldo on our breakfast program last week, Kurt, and, and he singled you out. Said you were one of the best utilities. In the game, uh, have you spoken to Ciro in depth at this stage in terms of what your role might be for the upcoming season? I'm uh, not too much in depth. You know, we had a little bit of a chat um, when I was when I was going to sign here and that, just in terms of role and that sort of stuff. But you know, this part of pre-season, it's all pretty much uh, it's a, just a bash up and a running fest. You know, we're all trying to get fit and trying to get our bodies right to, to go into the season. I think sort of after Christmas, we'll start trying to nail down 
you know, different aspects of where we're going to play and, and how we're going to play a little bit more. How are you finding the pre-seasons? I know you've been in first grade for a number of years now. You've played, what, 178 games across the Storm, the Dragons and the Knights. Is, is the body still coping okay? Yeah, yeah, mate. It's been it's been tough, you know. They're, they're all tough, but, um, you know, these boys, they, they train pretty hard here, so um, it's been a bit of an eye-opener in certain areas, but, um, yeah, my body's going pretty well at this point, so... You know, I think I'm the oldest in the team, so I think they kind of look after me a little bit in certain areas, so it's been pretty good. A lot's been made of the number of utilities that the Dogs have added to the squad, yourself and Drew and and a handful of others, of course, Jamin Salmon. Is there, for you personally, Kurt, a preferred position? Uh, I myself sort of prefer playing that, that ball playing middle role. You know, I think just the way the game sort of evolved these days and uh, it's, it kind of suits me now with, with that thing, you know, not being a bigger body. And But like I said, it being utility, I think you, it kind of adds value to the team and you sh- shouldn't really look at it as a negative thing, I think. You know, I've kind of kind of thought of it as a negative thing early on in my career as a, as a bit of an Achilles heel. But uh, as, as I've got a bit older, you know, I've kind of sort of, you know, seen the value it adds to the team and, and uh, just being able to do that. It's interesting, isn't it? Now people talk about this number fourteen and how critical that position is uh, for any team. I guess looking ahead, I mean, given how it's fair to say you've almost sort of reinvented yourself, you can play lock hooker, so many positions in the back line or on the forward pack. I mean, yeah, I think I'm right in saying about thirty years of age now. You're a proud Queenslander, still, I guess, origin aspirations. You think you could maybe play a role in that arena? Oh, man, I think, you know, if I ever got the opportunity to, I'd grab it with both hands. But, um, I don't know, that's, that's not up to me to really uh, pick those teams and that sort of stuff. So, but, um, yeah, mate, I'm a proud Queenslander, love my state. And, um, you know, I'd love to get that opportunity one day if it ever came around. Now, we know the Bulldogs are a massive club, a massive club. But, you know, they expect success. They haven't played finals football since 2016. Now, Gus keeps talking about uh, it's going to be a long process, but you're heading in the right direction. Uh, a wonderful coach, really savvy off-season recruit, and, you know, Stephen Crichton heading that list, of course. Uh, what have you seen in your short time at the club that makes you think that together you can break that drought and return them to their former glory days? Uh, this, this year, you know, I've only been here two and a half weeks, but I've, I've seen a whole different, you know, aspect of the place. Um, I've been at a few different clubs, you know, a couple of successful ones and, you know, just the dedication that some of the younger boys and, and the coaching staff have sort of applied this year. You know, there's people always in the video room and they're always asking questions and, and they're always just trying to get better. You know, they have a very big growth mindset here, I think. You know, after a couple of lean years, I, I think they've kind of had enough of it and the growth mindset around the place has been unreal. There's been a lot of intrigue, hasn't there, around Bronson Sherry? We know that he spent a lot of time out of the game and the reasons for that. He seems a very determined individual and, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's cut like granite at the moment. Uh, what can you tell us about Bronson and, and your short time there and how he's been training? Uh, Bronson's been training the house down. He's been unreal. He's been, um, you know, he's, he's fast, he's fit, he's strong. You know, he's had a bit of time out of the game, but I think he's sort of picking up the systems and, you know, the defensive movements pretty well. He's been, you know, he hasn't hid from the fact. He's been very accountable with what with what happened. And um, and I think all the boys have sort of, you know, taken to that. But, you know, he's put his hand up and, you know, he's, he's trying to prove something to us now, I think, and, and to himself.
Of course, one man that you did spend a bit of time with back at the Red V in the days is Drew Hutchinson. He's a big body and, you know, you saw him in that Trent Robertson regime used in all sorts of different positions. But he strikes me as a player that, that's really come of age in the last sort of year or two. He had so much talent and was so highly touted uh, back at the Dragons. Uh, good to catch up with Drewy again and, and what sort of season you predict him having? Yeah, me and Hutcho were really close at the Dragons. Um, played in the Cutters Grand Final and then the, the the Reggie's Australian Final with him. And so I've known Hutcho for a while now, and yeah, he's he's been he's been really good here. He's come from a very good system, you know, at the Roosters and like the the co the year we moved up to Queensland, he he kind of you know, saved the Roosters' season. I think there he ended up playing in the halves, and he's done a great job for him. So I think he'd definitely be pushing for one of those half spots. Now, you're about to head off to a pre-season camp. I always it sort of makes my skin crawl. I think about the Adelaide Crows. Remember that story occurred and, and some of the players didn't like it and they got taken to some dark places where, you know, you blindfold them and they, you know, they chuck you somewhere in the bush and you've got to find your way home. You've been on a couple of these. What are you expecting this time around? Oh, mate, they're all tough, these things. They don't get any yeah. easier. This will be, this is number seven for me. So we leave on Sunday for so my seventh army camp. Um... I've done a few pretty grueling ones where they just torture you for three days straight and they're not very fun. But I've taken part in this camp last year at Newcastle, the same people that ran it. So kind of know what to expect. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, but I'm, I'm just being tight-lipped because I don't want to get anyone scared around here. <laughs> uh, what about Cameron Sorrell? Is, is he one of these hands-on style coaches that will get down and dirty with you? Oh, yeah, definitely, mate. He... Um, you know, we wrestle on Mondays and, and Fridays and uh, the, all the coaching staff, every single one of them are in there doing jiu-jitsu before we get there. So we get there, we watch the end of their session and then they watch our session. So they're all pretty hands-on. And, you know, when we're on the training field, you know, Cam's obviously played a lot of footy himself. So he, he knows what to expect and he, and he knows um, the training standards. Like, he knows where people should be at. What happens if the coach clocks better pre-season times than you, Kurt? Well, then I think you might be in a bit of trouble, eh? We got, don't worry, we have a few good coaches. We, we've got Trav, who used to be at the Roosters, and uh, he's got a better rig than anyone on the team. And he's probably, yeah, and he's probably, yeah. I don't know how old Trav is. He'd be pushing 50, but he's got a better rig than everyone on the team. <laughs> you got to watch out for that. That's the thing, you know, return to pre-season training early, and it's you know, you sort of got to watch your diet even in the off-season now because if you come back too overweight, it's just, it's just a bit too gruelling, isn't it? All the best for the upcoming season. Uh, exciting times ahead for the Bulldogs. Now, I'm a Dragons fan, Kurt, and, um, but I would love to see nothing more than a, a healthy Bulldogs team because they are one of the powerhouses of the competition when they're flying. And, and uh, hope you don't get too flogged in pre-season camp. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Thank you. And there he is, uh, Kurt Mann. Can anybody ever see Kurt Mann donning the maroon jumper? I mean, Benny Hunt. Obviously starts at Hooker, but he's in rotation with Harry Grant in the Origin Arena at Benny Hunt's mid-30s now. If he keeps up his good form, you know, in a couple of years, maybe this year, next year, I don't know. Well, not probably not this year, but Kurt Mann, could you foresee a time where he is an Origin Smokey? Maybe as a utility on the bench for Billy Slater's men. Just food for thought. Crime scene. Uh, Usman is a NIMBY. Stop going to an air. Why is he a NIMBY? Crime scene. And you know I love your work. Uh, Stingray, both you and Jimmy Smith this morning with an opening diatribe in sport and politics. Well, I would call it a, a comment. Stingray, wouldn't call it a diatribe, but I think it was quite that vicious. Usman's message on his shoes is irresponsible. I think it's a message of unity, but we can agree to disagree. And like I said yesterday, 
you don't have to agree with me. It's a beautiful thing about discussing these things. We can do it, but we can do it in a civil and friendly manner. Thank you to you, Steve. Uh, morning, King, he says, Rooster Muzz. Hope you're well. I am. Kawar just riding on his shoes wasn't a political statement. Please. Why was the writing on his shoes in the colours? Where, sorry, why was it in the colours of the Palestinian flag? Where was he on October 8? Look, Rooster Mars, you know, we know that it's a blurry line between political commentary, humanitarian commentary. I mean, yeah, okay, it was political in the sense that it was tied to what is happening over the Middle East at the moment. But again, I, I just, I don't see this particular message as particularly inflammatory. I really don't. And he even came out and said, you know, I'm not saying a Muslim life's worth more than an Israeli life. He actually clarified that. Basically, he's protesting the death of innocence. I just don't see how people can be offended by that. In the world today, 49.6 people live in modern slavery. Usman decides to speak out a bit pro-humanity now in reference to Palestine. Well, crime scene, this is the thing. I mean, people say, oh, where was he when this happened and this happened? How come he didn't speak out? Well, what, do you want them to talk about every single issue? This is obviously one close to his heart. What, are you going to get up Guzman Kawaja because he doesn't come out with a banner reading Save the Koalas? Morning, Kingy. Every time someone brings up Shane Wapson, says Rob, my mind always goes to that one day international innings against Pakistan is getting bombarded by that fast bowler. The name escapes me. Uh, Zwahab Riaz, I remember that. Now, what an innings that was. I'll never forget it. That was classic cricket. Thank you for reminding me of that too, Rob. I think Usman should be able to display whatever he wanted to, but where was he when the Russians invaded Ukraine to those lives? Now, I'm not, he's not saying that those don't matter. He's not saying, said, oh, this is the, I don't like cheap whataboutism. It doesn't get us anywhere in this debate. Did the Tigers have Fanua Blake before playing centre or play with a similar? No, he didn't play centre for the Tigers, uh, Lee. They had Blake Ashford. They had Blake Ashford. Don't know if that's the person you're referring to. Uh, Maestro, do we need to do another break here? We do. Break and pack with more summer mornings. Welcome back, everyone. Second hour of the program. Julian King of the Chair on Summer Mornings. I'm having a look at what's ahead this hour. Very much looking forward to catching up with our great friend Simon Caddish. will be part of the coverage alongside Jared Waitley and Adam Collins. And that'll get underway at the conclusion of this show at midday, 11 o'clock in Queensland. Welcome along to our Queensland listeners tuning in via SENQ693 in Brisbane and 16.20 on the Gold Coast. We'd love to hear from you over the last couple of hours of the show. 1-300-01-1170 and the text line 0457 736 736. A lot of people having to say about Usman Kawaja today in Queensland. As I mentioned this in the last hour of the program, I spoke to Kurt Mann, who's a proud Queenslander. Could you foresee Kurt Mann as maybe being an origin smoky as a utility in the next couple of years? Maybe once Ben Hunt decides to hang up the boots. Just a thought. Just a thought. I know Jimmy Smith's thoughts on the matters. Uh, so I'll catch up with Simon Caddish. And also, I'm very much looking forward to this because everyone knows I'm a quiz buff. The last listener standing quiz. I didn't name it. So you might call me, be, might start accusing me of being woke because it's not a last man standing quiz, it's a last listener standing quiz on the program. <laughs> love it though, absolutely love it. Shades of the high ground back in the day. 0457 736 736. Jules Re Adam Fenua Blake with his release from the Warriors, from the WARS. I still can't get my head around that term. Well, Panther, it should not be allowed uh, to earn more money than the New Zealand contract. A lot of people have made that point. I said, well, if you're released on compassionate grounds, should you be allowed to go for more money? Legitimate question. Just watched an interview with Pat Cummins. He was wearing his test shirt. I think the sponsor's name shouldn't be splashed across the front, but rather ditch the ridiculous number off the back and plant the logo there. Try to bring a bit of the purity back to the great, great game's roots. Just a thought, says Tony from Ingleburn. 
I noticed, I think it's Toyota now, the new sponsors. It was very black. It did stick out like a sore thumb. I was, look, I'm very much a stickler for tradition, Tony, but what's interesting, and initially I railed against the numbers and the names on the back of the shirts. I've softened in recent times. I've softened. It does help you from a commentary perspective. You know, if the ball goes down to fine length, you car, who's that? Who's that? Generally, if you watch enough cricket, you know a player by their gait and how they run and, and the rest of it. But sometimes it just gives that little nudge. Certainly in Big Bash, we're not as familiar with all the names. And yeah, that's very different to Test Match Cricket. I understand that. But I'm sort of getting more used to it. And I almost hate myself for it. But okay. What if the shoe was on the other foot? Excuse the pun. What if a player was standing up for Israel and had released the hostages? Would that be seen in the same light as Usman? I don't think so. But I mean, Usman's statement was so generic. That's a thing, Dom. If it specifically mentioned Gaza Palestine, yeah, you talk about the colours on the on the shoes, but it is a message of unity. And he came out in social media and said, I'm not saying a Muslim life is worth more than an Israeli life. I'm not saying that at all. So there's ways and means. I don't think it's particularly divisive. And then, if you think about how Black Lives Matter movements are sanctioned by the ICC or the camouflage caps by the Indian players and other instances... Well, then I think people are right to call that hypocrisy. Read the shoes, says Rod from Orchard Hills. The players are chosen to represent Australia, not themselves. I don't agree that they should make political statements on the field. That is for their off-field activities. Uh, many would agree with you, Rod. They have plenty of opportunities off the field. Well, he'll continue to prosecute his case on social media and the rest of it. I just want to watch the cricket not be told how to live and think when watching sport, no matter the course. I don't know if he's telling you how to live and think. I mean... You can do with that message what you choose to do with that message, Rod. Thank you for your text this morning. Marco from Nanda in Brisbane. Morning, Julian. I don't have a problem with Usman wearing those shoes simply because of his humanitarian views, but if you did, the politics will start automatically. Certain media will make a fiasco out of it, along with some political parties in Australia. That's a really interesting point, right? So people want to talk about political activism amongst athletes and sports stars, and everyone cites the example of Colin Kaepernick, 49ers quarterback, took a knee... The genesis of the Black Lives Matters protests in sport. Not standing for the anthem. Now, in the NFL, it was recommended that they stand for the anthem and hold their helmets in their left hands, I think it was. It wasn't mandated, so you don't have to. That's just that they recommended it. But the thing about it is, he does it. And they say, that's political. But equally, the backlash is political. To come out and say, you're undermining your country and all the veterans fought for, that is just as political as somebody taking a knee. It's a really good point you make, Marco. Uh, Julian, another Julian, morning to you, fine name. Let's not mention that lying rugby coach again. As I said, I wrapped it up in a neat little bow. Wonderful work by Tommy Deason. And that is the curtain closed on the EJ saga. Fitzy, morning, Jules. Kurt Mann playing Origin. Ha ha, there's more chance of you taking over from Ray Hadley. You reckon, Fitzy? You reckon? I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Kurt Mann, you saw in his last couple of years there at Newcastle, Almost reinvented himself as a really handy utility. He loves playing the ball, playing middle. Can play lock, can play half, can play fullback, can play dummy half, more importantly. These players, these utility players, are worth their weight in gold. Ben Hunt's 35 now. If Ben Hunt goes or injures himself, who's going to be in rotation with Harry Grant? Do you pick a Reed Marnie? Or do you go somebody that is a jack-of-all-trades like a Kurt Mann? I'm not saying it'll happen, 
I'm just saying, is he in the conversation? We'll get back to your text in a moment on 0457 736 736. But as somebody rightfully pointed out, the first test is always the official start of the summer. Looking forward to our coverage. It gets underway as soon as we get off air at midday here on the morning program, 11 o'clock in Queensland. Jared Waitley, Adam Collins. And our next guest, Simon Kadich, who's on the line right now. Morning, Caddo. Good morning, guys. It's funny, isn't it? Uh, a lot of the lead-up to this test match hasn't so much been about the prospective teams and, and the pitch and what sort of contest we can expect, but, you know, this jousting between Mitchell Johnson and David Warner and then, of course, Usman Kawaja's shoes and the rest of it. But I suppose, as they say, all publicity is good publicity. At least it's getting people talking about the cricket. Yeah, it certainly has been. Uh, there's been plenty of uh, contentious topics, obviously, at the moment with selections and uh, throwing Cameron Green as well and the PM's 11 match. Uh, and obviously the Pakistanis weren't happy with, you know, the, the wicket that was produced there, given how slow it was and, and compared to what they're going to expect here at Perth Stadium. So, yeah, there's plenty going on in the background. But I think, you know, once the players get out there today and get stuck into it, hopefully uh, the action out in the middle will speak for itself. Uh, no surprises in the 11 that they picked. Of course, Nathan Lyon back in after that calf injury and then, the three quicks of Stark, Cummins, Hazelwood, and, of course, Warner at the top of the order. I don't think anybody expected much different, did they? No, not really. I think, you know, the selectors made their call, I think, earlier this year. I mean, if they were going to make a call, they would have made it before the Indian series and the Ashes series because that's probably where Warner was most vulnerable under pressure given that his record in both those parts of the world uh, haven't been great. And given his recent form, and he hadn't scored 100 in both venues. So the fact that they stuck with him, and I think there was no surprise he was going to play the home summer here because his record in Australia is, is almost second to none. I think he averages about 58. Uh, he loves playing Pakistan here in Australia, as he yeah. showed in Adelaide a few years ago when he got the 335 not out. So, look, yeah. I think there's no surprise, and it would be no surprise if he goes on and gets runs against this inexperienced Pakistan attack in our conditions over the next few tests. Well, he's due to the stadium. Uh, I think he's had four innings here, average less than 30. Uh, it's interesting, uh, Pakistan, It's you never know what you're going to get, do you? It's like the old Forrest Gump box of chocolates, and they haven't won a test match here since 1995, but they've got a new captain, Shan Masood, who, you know, let's be honest, hasn't been great with the bat. You know, Babra's arms are class. They've got Shaheen Shah Afridi. I'm a, a big fan of Mohammad Rizwan's work, but you just sort of don't know which Pakistan's going to show up, which is almost the beauty of it in a sense. But I think, you know, stepping aside from your, your country loyalties for a moment, I think most people would actually just want to see a really closely fought contest. Oh, look, hopefully it will be. I mean, I think the reason it won't be is because Australia is so dominant in our home conditions that we're very, very difficult to beat here. But having been in Pakistan last year for the, the first series there between Australia and Pakistan, so oh, it was nearly 20 years, um, Pakistan were excellent and they were in that series right until the last test. However, the pitches in Pakistan were extremely flat and their batsmen are used to batting in those conditions. So it was hard work for the Australian quicks. And uh, in that respect, that's where it'll be totally different because they do have some good young batsmen, young Abdullah Shafiq at the top of the order is averaging yeah. 50 in test cricket. He's a good young player. He's only, I think, 23 years of age. Uh, there's another one in the middle order, Saw Shaquille, who's come in, made double hundred earlier in the year against Sri, uh, Sri Lanka in Sri Lanka, um, and he's averaging, I think, eighty odd at the moment. So, they, and Bubba Razam, you know, needs no introduction. He's a class player, averaging sort of forty-seven in Test cricket. So they've got some very good players. The problem they've got is, can they take twenty Australian wickets in our conditions, where our batting is very, very strong, and we have got a number of guys that are, you know, in good form, albeit 
uh, in recent times in white ball cricket. So I guess the big challenge for them is how their two debutants uh, go here in Perth, whether they get their line and lengths right for the Australian batsmen. And not playing a spinner here could be yeah. fraught with danger because we've seen Nathan Lyon bowl beautifully here in the past. He's four away from 500 and I expect him to get to 500 test wickets here in Perth this week. Fascinating to see how they play this tactically. Sean Massoud is known to be a bit of a baseball disciple too, Caddo. And last series they played, I think they beat Sri Lanka 2-0, but they are going at a pretty decent clip, sort of five and a half and over. I think they've got, well, nothing to lose really. I'd like to see them bring that attacking mentality to this series. Yeah, look, there's nothing wrong with being aggressive in our conditions. I just think you've got to be doing it at the right time. So uh, obviously the new ball here can be difficult if there's movement and grass on the wicket and, and particularly against our quicks with their height and pace and bounce. You know, there's a big difference between facing three or four guys bowling 140 k's an hour uh, on our tracks compared to probably the Sri Lankan attack at the moment in, in their conditions. So, look, I think they're trying to go about it the right way and be proactive. It's just in Australia, you're probably going to have to do that once the ball settles around the 30-40 over mark. And then you can be proactive and look to put pressure on and potentially attack Nathan Lyon. But this Australian attack is, is a great Australian attack. It's, it's one of our best ever. And uh, it will be difficult for this Pakistan batting lineup to be able to go at a, you know, at a good clip against them for any length of time because they're so disciplined and they've got so much skill. Hopefully the crowd shows up, but there's a bit of a protest, wasn't there? So they said last year, they said, oh, well, the West Indies, you know, not exactly a draw card like they were 30 years ago, but further to that, they were unhappy with the manner in which Justin Langer was, uh, seemed to have been treated. Uh, now he's come out, JL, and said, come on, come and support the side. But I want to ask you about the openers, Caddo, and you're well-placed to answer this question. And you may have seen all the stats, and maybe it brings a smile on your face, and they talk about the inevitable decline of Australian players in the last two years of their career, and they cite, you know, Ponting and Hayden and, and the rest of them. And they said the one that bucks the trend is one S. Katic. In the last two years of his career, his average actually went up. But you played with Shane Watson, who played a lot in the middle order, and that, of course, he ended up opening the batting with him. Mark Taylor, in the nine papers today, he says he likes the idea of Cameron Green potentially being shifted the opening position once Warner retires, thinks he's got the technique for it. It's a way of getting a man of his immense talent into the side. Is that a genuine option? Well, I actually said that exact same thing earlier yesterday before I flew to Perth uh, with Adam White on SEN. So uh, it's my belief that, you know, Cameron Green, in my mind, is a superior player to the other three. And that's no disrespect to the others. They're all good young players. But I think Cameron Green has proven in his first-class career already uh, to have a better first-class average. I think it's just under 47, whereas the others are all sort of high 30s. Um, and the other part of this is that Cameron Green is a, a gun in the gully or in the slips wherever he feels. Yeah. Um, plus, he can bowl 140 k's plus. And the big thing which this team continually talks about is, you know, there's players that are playing a role in this team, so they don't always just look at the pure numbers. So the stats, yeah, they're, yes, they're relevant at times um, because you can't hide away from performance. But... It's the other aspect that Cameron Green brings to this team over the last couple of years, which has allowed them to win that World Test Championship, is that by bowling 15, 20 overs a test or whatever it ends up being, you know, he takes pressure off the big three quicks and potentially Nathan Lyon at times because of that role. And so the question is, can Mitch Marsh do that as the all-rounder? That's the big challenge for him because his durability has always been a question. He's regularly broken down with his workload at test level from a bowling perspective. So 
I believe that both of them can fit into this team once David Warner finishes up. And I think given that Cameron Green's made the bulk of his bigger scores and hundreds for WA batting at four, I think if you put it to the young kid, I reckon he'd jump at the chance to open because, mm. yes, it's a challenge, but you actually... The one thing I found was that I actually was better suited because you don't chew up nervous energy sitting there waiting to bat. And as a youngster starting out in his test career, I don't know whether that's happening with him, but he might find that it frees him up to go out there and, and just know when he's batting the whole time. You win the toss, okay, you're opening more. You know, as soon as the opposition's bowled out, you know you're walking out there to bat rather than sit around waiting for hours and then come in facing spin or an old ball. So I think he's equipped to bat at the top of the order. He's done it at four for WA. I don't think that, you know, it's a huge difference because there's times we would have come in and it's two down for not many and he's had to face a new ball just as he's done when he's batting at six. So... I think it's certainly worth the discussion um, because I think he's he's going to be a long-term test player for us and a very good one. I think you're right. We also noticed the news Travis Head promoted to co-vice-captain alongside Steve Smith. and We saw what he did in the World Cup final and you know his brand of attacking cricket there in the middle order. I mean, his stocks are really risen, Travis Head. What, what I love about this side too, Simon, I mean, the knock is that they're an ageing side, but they've just got so much leadership depth as well. There is, and I think this is a clear sign that you know, what he's done in the last 18 months across all formats, and this is credit to the hierarchy, and I'm sure that Travis Head would back me up on this, is that they've given him a role that suits in test cricket to go out there and be aggressive and play the way that suits him. And you can see his belief has grown remarkably since he got that 160 at the Gabba in the Ashes a couple of seasons ago, and he's gone from strength to strength. He goes out there and plays freely and plays his way and takes the game on, and this team loves that. So credit to McDonald and and Pat Cummins for, for giving him that belief and, and backing him in. Then we've seen it recently in white ball cricket. They've given him a chance at the top of the order for the ODIs. He's done that brilliantly with that World Cup victory. And then the other part of it is now back in the T20 international team on the back of both these dominant performances. And I think he's got about 3,000 international runs in the last 18 months. So he's going from strength to strength. This is recognition of that. And obviously he's done you know, some leadership for South Australia in the past in state cricket so it's a great feather in his cap to know that he's being viewed that way and, and in time there might be an opportunity for him down the track. Obviously the Western Australian fans will be disappointed that they didn't get to see the wild thing Lance Morris unleashed and he said look his time will come but you know Josh Hazard we know in the past couple of seasons Caddo has had a few injury concerns and hasn't really been able to string so three or four test matches together so if, if one of the three quicks were to, to fall over at some point this summer you know, does he leapfrog Boland or Nisa? Is he is he the next in line? Is it the perfect time then to unleash him? Look, I mean, obviously it would be nice to see him get a, a run because there's something special about someone that can bowl close to well, up to 150 k's, and he's done very well for WA. I think 31 wickets last year in about six games. So, and and they won the Sheffield Shield. So, yeah, there's plenty to like about him. He's improving rapidly. Um, but I also like the fact that, you know, they're going with the proven performers and, and picking their best 11 because there's plenty at stake. There's a World Test Championship cycle starting again and Australia, you know, got it at the moment. We want to keep it. So I think that ruthless attitude will hopefully serve us well. And his time will come if there's a you know natural attrition. Whether he's next in line, I'm not sure because... You know, Scott Boland hasn't done much wrong in his test career. Um, Uh. He's done brilliantly well for Australia and he plays a great role whenever he gets an opportunity. He found it tough in the ashes, but, you know, that was his first experience and that can happen. But 
yeah, I'll be interested to see what they do if there is an injury because Boland hasn't done much wrong. And given that the next test is Boxing Day, if something did happen to one of these three, and Boland's done so well at the MCG in previous years, and that's his home deck. So, yeah, I'm not sure Morris might have jumped him, but purely because it's here in Perth, that maybe has been the talk. All right, mate, before we let you go, you win the toss, you're batting first on this pitch, yes? I haven't seen it firsthand, but I think so. I mean, yeah. three times there's been tests here, Australia have won batting first. And I think, you know, runs on the board are uh, crucial here in Perth, particularly if there's some warmth around and, and the wicket can crack up later in the test. It is the official start of the summer. Australia and Pakistan gets underway. You can hear every ball live right here on SEN. Simon Kadich, thank you so much for your time on the program this morning. We're looking forward to the call. My pleasure. There he is, Simon Kadich, our former Australian opener and now part of the SEN cricket commentary team. 0457 736 736, break on summer mornings. Julian King with you, summer mornings on the SEN Network. Now, in about five minutes' time, we're going to get up and running with our last listener standing quiz, uh, Signa Boost Power Bank up for grabs. So if you want, how does this work? 2am, Tommy, you get them on the open line. I'm a bit of a, a novice. Maybe Maestro can help me with this. Is that how it works, Maestro? Whoop, that's right, Jules. I'll turn myself on. That'll help. Um, yep, so we've got a, a full board available at the moment. So give us a call now, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. And if you are the person who answers the last question, we've got five questions there. Easy. If you get one wrong, you stay in the mm. queue. But you've got to hope that everyone else gets it wrong too to get back oh, around. So you've got to get the last one right. You've got to get the last like, one right. I feel, like the late, uh, I feel like the great Tony Delroy back in the midnight quiz in the day on the ABC network. Mm. Last listener standing quiz. Okay, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Call us in the open line now if you'd like to have a crack. Uh, last listener standing, and there are how many questions? Five questions. So basically, you don't want to be the one that has to come in, answer question number five, and let the others do the heavy lifting for you. Signa Boost Power Bank, don't be shy. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Jump online now to have a crack at the last listener standing Quiz. Um, Eddie says, Jules, I hadn't heard about Usman Khawaja's shoes until the ICC in Cricket Australia commented on it. The fuss made attempting to prevent him wearing the shoes has drawn more attention to the issue. I don't see why saying all lives are valuable is controversial in any case. Well done, Usman. So support there for Khawaja. Thank you, Ed. Morning, Jules, says Rooster Rhyme. Not sports related, but Christmas shopping tip. Do it all with the EOFY sales. Uh, so you're one of these organised types, Rooster Rhyme, that gets ahead. So end of fight, so you're talking June, July. They're not having mums in their prams ramming into you. The wife and I have done it the last seven years. It's a breeze through this busy period. A lot of people jump on those Black Friday sales on the Cyber Monday, don't they? So, look, I want this normally 100 bucks, You can get it for 60 bucks. Hit me up now. But Christmas shopping's getting expensive. Further than that, it was my wife's birthday yesterday. She just wanted a quiet night at home, but she wanted Japanese for dinner. I love Japanese. One of my favourite cuisines. Gorgeous. Gorgeous food. Tell you what, though. My eight-year-old son eats like a bloody adult, like a horse. It was nice when they were two, they'd have a couple of bits of avocado sushi, and now, wowee. It's great, but you've got to sell a kidney on the black market just to pay for it this day and age. And Jules, I use the three-step method for Christmas shopping. Start thinking about what to buy my wife and daughter. Three steps from the shop front tour. Thank you very much. Let's get the news headlines. Satisfied. Now... People of my vintage would know that when you hear that, you probably start singing the Brashes theme tune. Remember the old record store Brashes? A bit before Maestro and 2AM Tommy's time. Uh, Brashes never fails to satisfy. Words to that effect. The great hot chocolate and the lead singer of hot chocolate, dead ringer for the bloke from, uh, what's his name? Gordon from Sesame Street. 
I'm showing my age. All right, we've got plenty of callers on the board. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Time for the last listener standing quiz. You just basically got to get question number five right to win the Signet Boost Power Bank. So maybe you'll run the board. I don't know. Let's go to Ben first up this morning. Morning, Ben. Morning, Jules. How are you, mate? Good. How are you feeling? You confident? Oh, I know. I'll tell you after the first question. Eh? <laughs> All right. Fingers and toes crossed. Here we go. Question number one. Name the two Australian players who both scored double centuries against the West Indies at Optus Stadium in 2022. Uh, Steve Smith. He's one. No, not Dave Water. Sorry, Benny, but you've ticked off one. G'day, Greg. Hello, Greg. Uh, hello, Jules. Uh, hello, my friend. So, Smithy's one. It's not David yeah. Warner. Uh, I'm going to go with Manus Labuschagne. It is Labuschagne. Uh, well done. Okay, Greg. Question number two. Shane Richardson has been named the West Tigers interim CEO, which NRL club was he last in charge of? Last in charge of? Yep. He did make mention of them in his press conference yesterday. Well, he's done both Penrith and Souths. Um, He has. Was there another one? It's one of those two, Greg. It's one of those two. Okay, well, we'll go Souths then. It is the Bunnies. Nice toss of the coin there, Greg. Uh, number three, there's only been one change to the Australian Test team from the fifth Ashes Test in July. Who was the player to miss out? Todd Murphy. It is Todd Murphy. Uh, Nathan Lyon back from that calf injury. Question number four. On this day in 1987, Alan Border scored 205 runs against New Zealand to become Australia's greatest run scorer. The top four Test run scorers in Australia right now, Ponting, Border, Steve War, Steve Smith. Who is number five on that list? 8,643 runs. So the top four test run scorers at the moment for Australia, Ponting, Border, Steve War, Steve Smith. Who's number five on the list? Steve War. No, no, I've already said Steve War. So we've got Um, Ponting, Border, Steve War's third, Smith's fourth. Who's the fifth? Oh, have a... Come on, Greg. Surely you've got to have a punt. That's the only stipulation. Hello, Kayama Kiwi. Hey, you going, Julian? Very well. Okay. So I'll give you that question again, Kayama Kiwi. The top four run test scorers in Australia, in order, Ponting, Border, Steve War, Steve Smith. They're the top four. Who's number five? Oh, geez, you got me here. Um... But have a guess, have a guess. Uh, Davey Warner. No, it is not Dave. Davey Warner's climbing that list, but it's not Davey Warner. Thank you, Kai McKiwi. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. So this has tripped up a couple. What's the answer? So I'm looking for the fifth highest run score in Australian Test cricket history. So number one is Ponting, number two is Border, number three is Stephen Roger War, number four is Stephen Peter Devereux Smith. Who is number five? Hi, Craig. G'day, how are you, mate? Really well. 8,643 runs. 
Uh, well, the thing about it is, okay, I don't know, 2am Tommy might wrap me over the knuckles for this, but Ponting was a captain, Borders was a captain, Steve War was a captain, Steve Smith was a captain. The fifth on the list was also a former captain. Uh, I was, was going to go Warner, but I'll go Greg Chappell. No, it's not Greg Chappell. Wow. 1-300-01-1170. Greg, you get a reprieve on the program this morning. You're a lucky man. This, consider this an early Christmas present. So it's not Water. It's not Gregory Stephen. Former captain. Ponting Border. Okay, Steve Wars, Steve Smith. Michael Clark. It is, pup. Michael Clark. All right, Greg. No pressure. This is for the win. Question number five. Final question. Last listener standing quiz. Australia will play two test series this summer against Pakistan and the West Indies. Then they commence a tour in February. Where are they going? Who will they be playing in their February test tour? Uh, where have they been of late? Um, Sri Lanka? Say that again. Not Sri Lanka, Greg. Kaima Kiwi for the win, my friend. So after they play Pakistan or the West Indies, Australia in February go on a test tour to where? Which country? This is a total guess, but we'll go New Zealand. It is New Zealand! (laughs) You got it, baby. Congratulations to you, Kiama Kiwi, you are the winner of the last listener standing quiz today. It was New Zealand, so hold the line. We'll get your details. So Signet Boost Power Bank coming your way. Well played. That tripped him up, didn't it? People forget about Michael Clark. So Ponting, Border, Steve War, Steve Smith and Michael Clark. I might even give you the list of the top 10 run scorers a bit later on. Before we get to the next break and have a bit of 2am Tommy time, I'm just going back to, and I love reading old batting cards, as you know, 1976-77. Pakistan tour. Second test, Australia v Pakistan at the MCG. This was on the 1st of January, 1977. So the Boxing Day test is not as historic as people think. They used to play shield cricket on Boxing Day. Australia, first innings, eight declared for 517. The Wiz, Ian Davis out for 56. Alan Turner opened with him, 82. So that was a pretty impressive 134-run opening partnership. Unfortunately, Rick McCosker, first drop, quacker. LBW Asif Iqbal, he was pretty much the only one that missed out, Ricky McCosker. Because then Gregory Stephen comes in at four, hits 121. Doug Walters at five, hits 42. Gary Cozier at six, 168 for Gary Cozier. They didn't pick him up for World Series cricket either, Gary Cozier. He was very tight with the late David Hooks. He was devastated too, Coz. Uh, Rob Marsh, Gary Gilmore, and then Skull. Kerry O'Keefe, some handy late order runs, 28 not. Imran Khan, by the way, none for 115 off 22 overs. The line of Lahore going at 5.23 and over. Pakistan in reply. Uh, Sadiq Muhammad hit 105. Majid Khan, 76. And Zahir Abbas, 90. And then it just fell away. So look at this. They were, four, they were what, three for 270. They got rolled for 333. Dennis Keith, six wickets, six for 82. Uh, Gary Gilmore with a couple. Skull with one. Then in the second innings, Rick McCosker will a duck in the first innings, 100 in the second, 105. Ian Davis, 88. Greg Chappell, 67. But then Imran chimed in with five wickets. And then Pakistan all out for 151. Four to Dennis, so he got 10 for the match. Four to Skull. Then a wicket each to Gary Gilmore and Max Walker. So just love reading through the old names and the old batting cards. Australia, Pakistan. 1st of January, 1977. It was the second test at the MCG with the Australians won by 348 runs.
What's the margin going to be? Over in Perth, gets underway from midday, 11 o'clock in Queensland time. Ball-by-ball ball coverage, the best in the business. Jared Waitley, Adam Collins, Simon Kaddish, Baratson, DeRayson and the whole SEN team. Tune in. Tune in. 0457 736 736. We're back with more. 2am, Tommy joining the program very shortly. Most runs for Australia. Ponting, 13378. Border, 11174. Stephen Roger, 10927. Stephen Peter Devereux, 9320. Is he going to get to 10,000? Probably. MJ Clark, 8643. Then after that, you've got Hayden, then Warner than Emmy War. They're the other three that are in the 8,000 bracket. Now, I can't be playing a lone hand here. I can't stop singing Hot Chocolate now. That's in my head. Everyone's a winner. But the ball bloke from Hot Chocolate. Tell me he doesn't look like Gordon from Sesame Street. Can somebody out there... It's got to be someone else out there that remembers Gordon from Sesame Street. 996 says, is this a sports station or a political station? Move on. Well, you can't always divorce the two, 996. This is a big story that involves a sportsman. One of our finest test cricketers, so of course we're going to talk about it. And I think we're mature enough to be able to talk about the two things, are we not? Thank you for your text. Adam is on the line. Morning. Morning, Julian. And yes, he does look like Gordon. I completely agree. Yeah. Um, Can we give us another <laughs> signet boost to Adam just for that? Come on, Tommy. Find one for us, please. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm ringing to support Usman, and I, I agree with your comment. We should be mature enough to be allowed politics into our sport we've had i'm a proud pe teacher and i i love teaching a particular subject australian sporting identity and i bring up a few people quite often kathy freeman when she ran the won the 400 at the com games and and carried both flags nikki winmar proudly pointing to his skin adam goods and the atrocious um um way that he was treated um and and now we have uzi being ostracized from from sport because he's written a very very generic uh, comment on his boots saying that all lives matter. Yeah, yeah, well, all lives matter. And 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 the ICC coming out it just shows that they themselves have a political agenda that you know we shouldn't have to follow as Australian people. Why can't Uzi, who you know um, is is a wonderful already media personality, be able be able to stand up and 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 speak out for himself? He's a great role model. Um, for all all kids, not just Muslim kids in Australia, and and I think Pat Cummins himself, you know, by um, putting the sh- bottles of champagne off the stage, get him up um, to celebrate together, you know, like we're a country that needs the support. We're you know we're a melting pot. That's what we tell each other all the time. Why can't sports people and sports fans also listen to political? Um, statements from our sports stars. It's very frustrating, and, I'm, and I apologise if I spoke too much. No, no, it's, it's not affecting their cricket as well. That's the other thing too, Adam, but this was a really innocuous statement. And whatever you think of Usman Khawaja, he is far from a provocateur. Far from it. And a lot of people say, leave it, you know, leave the politics out of sport. It's, it's not always that simple. And you mentioned there, Cathy Frame. You think about Muhammad Ali, and this is a more extreme example, of course. He was the most hated man in America. And he went from the most hated man to the most loved athlete probably in American history. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about 68 and Mexico still, Olympics, Tommy Smith, John Carlos, P- Peter Norman, mm-hmm. you know, Black Power salute. And now it's one of the most iconic Australian moments standing. and images. That's right. Yeah. And, yeah so and, we'll know, see the how... the symbolism of the right and the left of the, of the right and the left There's love. all you of know, that. It's, it's, yeah. And he spoke very well on social media. He put out a very, very, very good statement where you could see the emotion on his face 
um, saying, you know, and, and if you haven't seen it yet, it's up on social media, on his social media. It's worth watching. It goes for about two minutes. He speaks beautifully about it. And, and you know, I, I have no issue with it, and I'm a bit upset that the ICC do. Yep. Yeah, he spoke very calmly and I thought thoughtfully and rationally. Great call. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, mate. Uh, and just before we get to our 626, what is Israel to do? Hamas wants all Jews dead. Well, Steve from Padster. I mean, look, there's a lot of Palestinians that are anti-Hamas. But don't appreciate the fact that at the moment these retaliatory strikes are trying to turn Gaza into a graveyard. Indiscriminate killing of children. Nothing wrong with saying, I have a problem with that. And everyone should have a problem with that. Oh four five seven seven three six seven three six. Let's talk to Tommy. Oh no, we got another caller. Let's go to the open line right now. I don't know who that is. The bag. Hello, the bag. Yeah. Good morning. They're just coming off the back of that caller there as well, and I'm glad that you mentioned Peter Norman. I'd throw in the mix uh, Tommy Carroll, who never surfed in South Africa and lost him. He lost a world title around that. Shane Horan put free Mandela on his surfboard and look how history would judge the stance that they took. Mm, mm. That's the thing. I mean, you know, apartheid South Africa, boycotts. It's, it's, history is littered with examples of sport and politics overlapping. So it's not as simple as saying they shouldn't mix because they do. You know, we don't live in a vacuum. Sport by and large, the bag is a microcosm of society. Well, for sure, and, and I take my hat off to those sports people that have, have got the courage to take a stance. Well, that's it. It is courageous because he knew that was going to be a backlash, and we're seeing it already in some of the comments too, written on various sort of news sites and whatnot. It's just, just horrendous, you know. And this is playing the man, not the ball. That's what I don't like. And I always encourage debate on this program. Happy to take views that are different to mine. That's the best part about living in this country, isn't it, the bag? We get to do things like oh, that. For sure. But we can be civil yeah, about well, it. Well, for sure. And look, it, might, it doesn't have to be every player's cup of tea and all the rest of it, but uh, the old, I might not agree with what you've got to say, but I'll fight for your right to say it resonates. And uh, yeah. those sports people, we want sports people to be unique. We want to see their character, and it's good when they come out and uh, express themselves, I reckon. Yep. Good on you, the bag. Appreciate your call. Ciao, mate. Bye, mate. Thank you, mate. Just before we get to the break, uh, speaking of sports people that like to speak their mind, Nick Kyrgios, before, <laughs> on comparing today's tennis to those in decades past. The game was so slow back then. I've watched Boris Becker. I'm not saying they weren't good in their time, but to say that they would be just as good now, it's absurd. A big serve back then was like 197 and 200 Ks. People like me, we served 220 consistently to corners. Whole different ball game. I'm not saying they wouldn't have found their way, but serve and volley, to do it all the time now, you need to be serving 220 because if you serve anything less than 220, bro, Djokovic eats you alive. He eats you alive. Bro, Leighton Hewitt destroyed Sampras one year at the US Open. That was the first prototype of someone who could return serve. He made Sampras look like SHIT. And what would Djokovic do to someone like Sampras? It would be a clean-up. If Hewitt was doing it, Djokovic destroy him, he would eat him alive. That's from The Athletic. Nick Kyrgios. I see what he's saying, but it's like saying, oh, Brad wouldn't survive now because, you know, he didn't hit as many sixes. Boris Becker's replied, Nick makes a lot of noise about tennis lately. Why does he speak about a sport he apparently hates? Fact check, Nick has never won a major championship as a player or coach. Yes, doubles. So where is any credibility coming from? Trying to compare generations. Lava v. Federer. Borg v. Nadal. Sampras v. Djokovic. I'm not even going to mention McEnroe, Connors, Lendl, Agassi, Courier, Edberg, Volander, Curtin, Bruguera, Rafter, Hewitt, and many more. Speak to your only fans about many things but tennis. Bang. So boom, boom replies. 
I see what Nick is saying, and you can't compare eras. It's impossible. But a talented player there is a talented player in any era. And with modern training, Becker would have been a modern great. A breaking back with more. Welcome back, everyone. Finally out of the program. One hour to go before we hand the reins over to Jared Waitley and the team, live from Optus Stadium, Perth, for the start of the summer. I've seen a few people, and a Brad Davidson, a good fella, great horse tipster, saying, is anyone else struggling to get pumped for the start of the summer? Has it felt like the traditional test match build-up? Maybe not. You know, Johnson v. Warner and Johnson v. Bailey has added a bit of spice to this. Of course, the Kawaja thing, which has um, sent the text line into meltdown this morning. A lot of people differing views. A lot of support for Usman. Plenty saying, no, nope, I'm sorry. We love you, Usman. But leave the politics out of it. Simon O'Donnell, our friend and colleague here at the network, filling on an SEN 1116 breakfast, was asked about this yesterday. He certainly doesn't sit on the fence, Scoob. This is what he had to say about the Kawaja situation. Walking out onto the cricket field representing your country can't become lawless because you have a strong opinion on a life issue. It can't be that way. So there has to be some rules that need to be adhered to. Otherwise, otherwise players can go down any track and, and you can't be sure that that's doing the sport any good. I don't disagree with anything that Usman Khawaja said. Put it on the platform as powerfully as he did, his own personal platform, and he has used his popularity as a cricketer, and that's why he has the following of that platform. That's what makes it so powerful. That's fantastic. He says it's not political, though. But it, mate, so it, is it, he said it's a humanitarian But cricket's, issue. cricket's got a... It's not, Usman's not running cricket. And that he's worldwide. not taking... The ICC stuff. is. The ICC is running cricket worldwide. So you can't just let everyone who thinks powerfully about a situation... And it's horrible what's going on in the Middle East. But because you think powerfully about it, I'm just going to make a statement about when I go and represent my country, in whatever field it may be. It's got to stop somewhere. But using your own personal platforms, I have absolutely no problem. I do not disagree with anything he said. What I disagree with is the sport enabling the popularity of it and its broadcast, letting individual players politicise the game. It should not happen. I feel really strongly about it because I've lived in a team environment representing my country and had enormous pride. And I'm sure Usman Kawaja has enormous pride. Mm. But you cannot bring those individual beliefs into the history of your sport and say, I am now going to say this. Forceful words from Simon O'Donnell. He said he should be able to state his beliefs on his own platform while he's representing Australia. He has no right nil zero to bring his personal beliefs and instill those onto others. I don't think that's what he's doing, though, Scoop. I really don't. You know, personal beliefs. I mean, you know, saying all lives are equal, it's pretty universal truth, I would have thought. And his former teammate from Victoria, Merv Hughes, had this to say on social media. Well said, Uzi. From the heart, it is amazing to me that people get offended by this. Great that you're standing your ground on something you feel so strongly about. Good on you. Good luck to you and the team in Perth today. That's from the big swerve. Merv Hughes. And hopefully this debate dissipates. I don't want to hear people bagging Usman Kawaja because he represents his country with the utmost pride. What he's saying is all lives are equal, freedom is a human right. He's raising his voice for human rights, for a humanitarian appeal. That's the way he's pitching it. And then he says, if you see it another way, well, that's on you. 0457736736. Getting the studios renovated and refurbished and done. In fact, building new studios in Sydney. And I'm going to give a nod to the building crew. Because you know every time you go past a construction site, right, 
and you've got sort of the builders always got the music going on the background. You wonder what sort of music choice, and it differentiates the older ones and the younger ones and the rest of it. I heard yesterday when I was in studio, back to back, Boogie Wonderland by Earthwind and Fire, followed by Hazard by Richard Marks. Back to back bangers. So well done to Barry and the team who are working tirelessly in this Christmas break to get the new studios online sooner rather than later. Boogie won Land by Earthman and Fire and Hazard by Richard Marks. You'd be hard-pressed to top that. You'd be very hard-pressed to top that. 0457 736 736. We're doing our best to fix this text line at the moment. Just got a few gremlins there in the system. I'll speak to Laurie Horish from ESPN about all things NFL shortly on the program, and then we'll have our regular Thursday Pontings Wines chats. Um, I'm sorry, Julian says Isaac, but the ICC just been hypocrites, and as I say that, my phone box in front of me has just died. So so all sorts of technical issues on the program at the moment. I'll get back to that once I get it up and running. Thank you so much, Isaac. 1-300-01-1170. That great question of the last day of the program. It's on this day, 1987. Alan Border scored 205 runs against New Zealand to become Australia's greatest run scorer. And the top four test run scorers, Ponting, Border, Steve or Steve Smith, who's fifth. Fifth was Michael Clark, 8,643 runs. So if you do the numbers here, so at the moment, Clark's 8,643. Warner's 8,487. Not sure he's going to catch him by the end of his career if he does get to Sydney. Hayden, 8,625. Is he going to get to Hayden's numbers? you think he would, unless he has an absolute barrier and they get gets dropped. I'm sure he's going to get 200 runs across free tests. We hope you would. And then Steve Smith is 680 runs away from 10,000. Now we did mention on the program yesterday, Malcolm Conn wrote an article and said, is it an uncomfortable conversation to have to suggest that maybe Steve Smith's powers are on the way? So nobody talks about Steve Smith, the great SPD Smith, best since Bradburn. 2019 Ashes, the, the test average was over 60. It's since dipped. Law of diminishing returns. Getting at LBW more often than not too, Steve Smith. But right now, Steve Smith sits on 9,320 runs, so 680 runs away from hitting the magical 10,000 mark. Now, just before we get to Laurie Horash, I was halfway through your text, Isaac. I'll just bring it up again in front of me. Yes, I'm sorry, Julian. The ICC has just been hypocrites that allow players to remove alcohol logos and other so-called offensive commercial logos due to religious beliefs. They took a stance on Black Lives Matter, which is fine. They've been involved in many other so-called political statements. Now they have an issue with somebody highlighting civilian debts. It's the ICC that need to be held accountable here, and they must justify and clearly articulate why they're not allowing such a stance and not stand behind terms, conditions that they've not upheld in the last five years. Excellent point, Isaac, and one that many others are making. If you sanction Black Lives Matters, or Black Lives Matter, if you're happy for the Indian cricket team to wear these camo caps. Do you remember those? The camouflage military-style caps. Thank you to Scott Bailey for bringing this to my attention. This was in an ODI against Australia in 2019 during a period of increased tensions with Pakistan. India said the caps were a tribute to lives lost in a terror attack and the armed forces. So they're allowed to wear it. Usman can't have a few words talking about all eyes been equal on his shoes. And I get that. And what that points to is how heavily politicised the ICC is, as if they're going to say no to India. And that's where this thing stinks. We'll get back to that in a moment. 0457 736 736. Time to talk all things NFL. It's been a while since I've spoken to Laurie Horish from ESPN. He's on the line right now. Morning, Loz. Great to be back on with you. Mate, let me ask you, does it feel like the official start of the summer, the first test? I know you love your cricket. 
yeah, it, it, there's something that that's just ingrained if you're a sports fan in Australia growing up. If if not the first test, uh, the first time that um, that you get the all clear from the parents to hammer some stumps in, in the backyard or the front yard, whatever you're working with there, and send a few down. That maybe that's maybe that's more spring because we probably couldn't mm. wait properly till summer to get that going. That was probably as soon as as soon as the school uniforms change. You know, you switch from the winter to the summer. Uh, you'll have yep. to start donning shorts again. That's probably when the uh, when the backyard cricket uh, starts. But yes, first test that is the official start of summer. And uh, and a challenge anyone that has been brought up in this country loving sport um, to, uh, to to find a better in, definition in the spring. For me, it's always when you know the the golfing green keepers start to call the greens. It's around about springtime, oh. and they do it with the oh yeah, it's horrible. Just give me a discount for that, uh, mate. Yes, in well, the as NFL, a, as a more as a Moore Park on. junior, I can say that uh, as a Moore Park junior, I, I definitely uh, got the uh, the core. The green coring uh, was a regular feature there back in the uh, in the 2000s with how many people used to plough through some that your, golf club. Some of your putts probably went in because they zigzagged all the way through. Okay, let's talk okay. NFL. Another weekend full of upsets and controversy. That 30-point half from the Jets. But, you know, if you look at the playoff picture, Laurie, it's, it's clear as mud, I think, at the moment with four rounds to go. Injury is always a, a big part, as you know, but we've seen some of these replacement QBs stand out. You think of Joe Flacco, you know, Jake Browning for the Bengals. Is there a team or two who maybe you'd written off for the season and you think, oh, hang on, they might be a sneaky playoff chance here? I think the Browns, by the virtue of having eight wins already, they are in such a great position. The strength of that team has been that defence, and unfortunately they had another couple of injuries pop up this week. They've had you know, some key figures missing at different levels of, of that of that defensive unit at different times. of missed time with particularly think of cornerback like Denzel Ward, and now they've had uh, safety Grant Delpit, as well as some uh, defensive pressure up front with Okoronkwo, um, land themselves on the injury list. So that's that's something that hits at the strength. But, I mean, it, it's amazing to see you know, Joe Flacco come out there and provide them professional quarterback play. And in a year, as you mentioned, with so many quarterback injuries and so many backups out there, that even Joe Flacco, you know, off the uh, off the couch and, and a little bit time, uh, a little bit of time away from the game, um, and certainly in a starting capacity, can come in. Um, and, and make a run. And I think, look, if you're saying on that AFC side of things, I still think, and they were a meme, they were a punching bag earlier in the season, but the Denver Broncos still have it in front of them to make a run here. Um, I think they don't, they, they like to, whether you, <laughs> I was having this conversation last night, you can either discuss the Denver, Denver Broncos as they uh, they drag you down into the mud and get into a gritty, grindy, you know, let's run the ball a million times, low scoring affair, and we'll chuck it up a couple of times to Cortland Sutton and, and see if we can emerge. Or the nice way to put it, However, you know, they take you into the deep waters of good, tough football and see if you can hang. But considering what the Denver Broncos schedule is the rest of the way, they get the reeling, the reeling uh, Detroit Lions next up, a team that is really struggling to play any semblance of a quality defense. And they get the Patriots, they get the Chargers, which will sounds like it'll be Easton Stick or a, uh, we'll see if it's another backup quarterback that'll be with the Chargers there because you've got Justin Herbert. Uh, with the finger injury, putting him on injured reserve and finishing his season. And then they close with the Raiders. So that is four very winnable games uh, for the Denver Broncos. They're currently seven, sitting at seven and six. And I think if they can they can get to 10 wins, I think they're in a great spot. They can. It's not out of... I, I would be picking them to win as favourites in each of those games down the stretch. It's not out of the, rec- uh, the reckoning that they could get to 11 wins. So that's one on the AFC where it is... Uh, particularly muddy that they jump out as a team that, yeah, earlier in the season, absolute, you know, you punchlines and punching bags for, for mm-hmm. Sean Payton and Russell Wilson, but I think that's changed quite a bit. And then 
big missed opportunity for the Green Bay Packers. Um, I mentioned the Lions earlier with their loss to the New York uh, Giants. The Minnesota Vikings get two bites at the uh, two bites at the Lions down the stretch as well, if they can cause some chaos there. Um, and, uh, and who knows, maybe cause a couple of upsets in the in the span of a couple of weeks, they can turn that NFC North race entirely upside down too. The big controversy of the weekend, that offside call against Kadarius Tony for the Chiefs against the Bills, uh, cost us one of the great NFL touchdown plays, and it sent, of course, the rather saintly Patrick Mahomes over the edge. He's since apologised, Mahomes, but uh, how did you see that play? One, it was definitely offside. He was so far into and over the neutral zone. Um, I saw a reference that the uh, the Buffalo Bills could have been accused of having 12 men on the field, that Tony was that far on the other side of the line of scrimmage. <laughs> Uh, there's the Pruder film out there uh, of people claiming that they can see uh, the the Tony reference to the sideline and check with the official by waving his hand. I'd just like to say that that's not necessarily a check. One, because it doesn't show that the referee actually acknowledged him and said the sideline official said, oh, yeah, you're in line, you're fine, you're onside. It can actually be them just putting their hand up saying, hey, I'm the on-ball receiver, which is just a certain receiver lined up in a certain part of the formation. Um, and Tony had done this repeatedly. Dan Olowski highlighted that he had been lined up offside repeatedly throughout that game and that he wasn't checking uh, with the sideline official. You can see, if people are wondering what that looks like, you ever see a wide receiver out near the sideline, far away from the ball, look across at the, at the official, kind of extend his arm even and kind of point and try to almost level himself up? Because it can be hard to tell when you're 20 yards away, when you're over near the sideline, geez, is my, you know, is my toe in front of the ball? Am I in the neutral zone? So, look, I think it was absolutely a flag. It's something the referees have been looking in on and, and emphasising more this season. And I think the frustration we saw from Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, honestly, I think, sincerely, that was, I think it was a lot of displaced frustration. They're not going to throw Tony under the bus publicly. Patrick Mahomes isn't going to throw his wide receivers under the bus publicly. I don't think he, I think he absolutely could have handled it better and, and, the scenes there, particularly with Josh Allen, you know, their embrace at half at the uh, halfway at the end of the game, meeting at midfield, and kind of that usual exchange we see between quarterbacks. Having that being an environment where Patrick Mahomes says, "Oh, you know, how bad was that? Essentially, how bad was that offensive offside call?" Don't think that's the place. I don't think that was a great look. Huge fan of Patrick Mahomes. Never seen anyone play quarterback position at the level in the way that he does. Um, he's the greatest I've seen in you know seen play live. Um, that's for for certain. But uh, it, it was a tough look. I think it's a culmination of a lot of frustration with the wide receiving core that is the league leaders in drops this season and their failure to add more stability at the pass-catching position still remains a massive ceiling um, for a very, very talented team. It was evident in week one against Detroit, evident in week 14 against Buffalo. Okay, I want to get a word on your Cowboys statement. Went over the Eagles, Laurie. Didn't score an offensive touchdown. Now, top of the NFC South, a harder schedule to finish the season, but they're... They're firing at the moment. Dax, the new MVP, equal favourite. How excited are you getting now? Or or will it depend on whether they can jag the number one seed in the NFC? Look, I think the fact that you are putting to rest all these arguments that kept coming up, right? Oh, who have you beaten? No, you haven't beaten anyone with the winning record. Then you beat the, the Seahawks who have a winning record when they start the game and not the end of the game. Oh, you still haven't beat anybody with a winning record. Okay, you go and beat the Eagles. I think it's just part of Part of the Cowboys playing more consistent football. Dak Prescott playing exceptional football. He's deservedly up there at the top of the MVP discussion. For me, I'd have that discussion. I'm sorry to Christian McCaffrey and Tyreek Hill fans, but we've seen how voters mm-hmm. lean towards the quarterback position. It's not most outstanding player. If I was starting a league, I'd use the O word, not the V word for valuable. 
uh, because valuable is such a loaded phrase. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It is the most valuable player. If we're talking quarterbacks, I think we're talking about uh, Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott at the Dak Prescott at the top there. Lamar Jackson, Brock Purdy have been the conversation for me, particularly with the way the Dolphins were upset um, on Monday Night Football as well. But look, this is a team playing complementary football. Dak is reading the game very well. He's delivering aggressively. They're getting the ball out quick and still attacking downfield. They exposed some things that had been um, showing up for the Eagles' defense, the spine of the Eagles' defense, the secondary of the Eagles' defense. These are not strong points, um, and the better offenses are able, and, and even some of the some of the less consistent offenses are able to create chunk plays and consistently move the ball. But what you mentioned there, tough run home. The Cowboys are going to have to keep proving it the rest of the way, up against the Buffalo Bills this week, up against the, Del- Minnesota, uh, the, the Miami Dolphins next week, and then the Lions, who are still potent on offense, struggling on defense. They have to keep proving it. And even if they win out, if the Eagles get themselves back on schedule with the, with the comfortable run home uh, that, at least on paper, the Philadelphia Eagles have, if both teams win out, the Eagles will actually retake the NFC East lead. For the Cowboys, all that, some of that is out of their control. What is in their control is continuing to play dominant, consistent football. And uh, what, is, uh, what looms large is still the boogeyman, though, and that is the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, before we let you go, obviously you would have seen that Rugby League are trying to make a foray into the US market and there they were half-time invaluable exposure. They had Aaron Woods and Campbell Graham chatting to, to Fox Sports. It's a shame though, Laurie, that it was half-time during a game between the Raiders and the Vikings, which has been billed by many as the worst game of all time, 3-0. Perhaps more appropriate if we'd had you know some soccer players or you know the world yeah. game football version of players with a scoreline like 3-0. It was horrible. Yeah, Unfortunately, like we you mentioned off the top, we talked about the state of backup quarterbacks being so prominent this season. With so many quarterback injuries, has led to some pretty rough offensive football. Adding into the fact that this has been a very good year for defensive football, this has been the year uh, when we look back. Who knows what the playoffs have in store for us or the run towards the playoffs over the next month? But when we look back so far through more than three quarters of the regular season, I think one of the stories of this season is defense bit back this year. Defensive coordinators and defensive scheme designers and defensive players as well deserve credit for getting more creative, more aggressive, more confusing. And whilst it feels like it's been 10, 15, 20 years of offense dictating football in the NFL, this felt like a year where defense bit back. Couple that with a whole lot of quarterback injuries and yep, the old 3-0 is going to come up time, <laughs> uh, you know, every now and then. And uh, it was, uh, yeah, that was uh, not an enticing uh, spectacle, uh, but it certainly was one that you couldn't keep your eyes off um, as you watch it wind down and the clock tick down. Yeah, they were cheering. All right, mate. Great to chat, as always. We'll catch you soon. Always a pleasure. Thanks. And there is Laurie Horace from ESPN, 0457736736. My phone box is going haywire here at the moment. We'll take another break on summer mornings. We'll reset. Back with plenty more. He who must not be named. Interestingly, Tom Deason's going to be in Japan for Eddie's first press conference. Oh, that'd be a grab the popcorn stuff. I know we said bring a curtain down, but if something juicy happens, I think we're going to have to play it. Uh, we do the open line. We go one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Mark, good morning to you. G'day, mate. Hey, um, I'm probably getting up in the range of one of your senior listeners, but <laughs> I'm I'm still like a kid at heart. I'm so excited about this. You know, one o'clock, um, the first Same. four and and, um, and I look forward to this time of year every year. And um, but just to finish, up to my mind, with the fuzzy um, stuff that's going on, I've never heard Simon's um, um, interview 
today, but he articulates everything that I um, sort of feel myself about Uzi. He's a he's a great batsman. He's a great cricketer, and and like like Simon was saying, Lee uses other social media platforms to express his views on the atrocities of the world and stuff. Let let sport be the distraction to all those outside horrible things that are happening. And let's just enjoy the game of cricket. The other thing is, I, I still work, and my, I'm supplied a uniform. And my boss would be horrified if I defaced it in any way. Not defaced it, but if I wrote anything on it, that would be against corporate policy. He's, Lizzie is employed by the ICC, and he's very proud to wear that green baggy hat. As, as anyone should be. But his political views, he's, he's paid as a cricketer, not for his political views. That's, that's all I think. I, I just, yeah, well, look, I Usman's, uh, well, he's, employed, he's not employed by the ICC, Mark. He's employed by Cricket Australia. Um, and, look, it, it's on his shoes, which is equipment. It's not his, his official team uniform, secondly. But he's employed to do a job. That's why he got centrally contracted. And he's been the most prominent opener in the world cricket for the last couple of years. The thing about it is, you know, if, if you're making incendiary statements here, I get that. And he himself said, I respect the decision by the ICC. There are rules in place. You can question whether those rules are appropriate or not, but as it stands, they are in place, and he will abide by those, but he'll still continue to fight the fight and see if he can't get a green light to wear those shoes in Melbourne. And you can point at the fact that, well, hang on, you're okay for um, making stances for Black Lives Matter or for the Indian cricketers to wear camouflage hats because of you know a war with Pakistan, for example. And this, in comparison, is, is pretty innocuous stuff. It's pretty inoffensive stuff. I got no issue. I see why people say, you know, you want to keep that out as well. I I understand that. I understand that. But at the same time, you almost got to, I don't know, maybe you take it on merit, Mark, because this is a, as he said, I don't even see this political message as a humanitarian message. Can I just say, Bart, if we, the implications, one action creates another uh, action, yeah? And, And we have to be aware that if we, if we let this slip by, we open a whole gambit of other issues, possibly further down the track. You know, when something else. Well, Wimbledon had that that um, very antiquated old thing where um, one of the great Andre Agassi never played Wimbledon for several years because he wouldn't have by the fact that. Sorry. Because they made them wear white. Exactly right, and when he did yeah. come back, I couldn't stop laughing because he wore those ultra long shorts. Yeah. That were, <laughs> but but that's that's him making a little statement that there, and I get that. But he still wore white. Yeah. I, I yeah. Well, we saw it. We saw it too, Mark, with Nick Kyrgios. He switched out to the red hat at the end. You know, trying to be. Defined. Mark, uh, always good to get your thoughts, mate. I've got to get to the news and then Ben Riggs with Ponting Wines. But thank you for your call on 1300 01 1170. News headlines. About half away, half an hour away before we hand coverage over to Jared Waitley and the crew for the first test of the summer, Australia and Pakistan. And you know what? You know, let's think about the beautiful thing about the Perth test for us here on the Eastern Seaboard is that remember the days you'd come home from school, you'd flick on the TV and go, You're beauty. You've got test cricket until nine o'clock at night. 
It's like all your Christmases has come at once. And I'm thinking now that I'm of age, you know, you sit on the couch, put the kids to bed, maybe catch the last hour or so. So what uh, would be a nice little accompaniment for dinner? What would be a great wine to have? We catch up with Ben Riggs from Ponting Wines every Thursday. I'm pleased to say he's on the line right now. Morning, Benny. Good morning. How are you? Going very well. Pontingwines.com.au. This week's feature wine, you know, I was anti-white for years. I'm getting older. I'm back into it. Tell us about this Adelaide Hills Sav Blanc from 2023. I just want to clarify something there. You're saying of age. It sounds like you've only just got there. <laughs> I try to make out I'm younger than I am, but I've been talking about Gordon from Sesame Street, Earthman and Fire and Richard Mark, so it's a dead giveaway. Yeah, I don't think you're quite that young, no. Um, the first session is going I mean, it's... Uh, well, first session is about to happen this morning, isn't it? Um, uh. And Ricky always tells the story of just how important that first session was. Of every The first session of the first test in every series was the one that they they all focus the most on because you try and get the upper hand in the beginning. And, um, you know, Sauvignon Blanc, like when I started making wine, obviously when I was only 12 in the, in the late 80s and early 90s, mm-hmm. um, um, Sauvignon Blanc was sort of new to Australia. And um, we used to make a lot in McLaren Vale and other regions, but um, slowly but surely, you know, New Zealand created a, a massive interest in the, in the variety and places like Adelaide Hills, the cooler, milder climates, and make these delicious, fresh, Juicy New Zealand wines can be a little bit more sweet and sour. Adelaide Hills are more about the fruit and the um, lovely crunchy acidity and really sort of um, tantalising flavour. Um, and the first session from 2023, we've had a string of 2021, 22, 23 of very mild years. So the wine is perfumed and fragrant and smells all those nice green herbal sort of pretty floral fruit characters. Um, yeah, lovely glass of wine. And the other thing too, and, and we're guilty of it a lot, aren't we, Ben, in, in Australia in particular, because it gets so hot in the summer, you chuck the wines in the fridge, but you take the whites out particularly, probably drink them colder than we should? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, it, you do. What, what happens is you just lose some of the perfume um, on the nose, and, and unfortunately not enough people spend enough time smelling glasses of wine because it's one of the great pleasures of, of great wine is those perfumes and, and aromas. Um, once it gets in your mouth, it does warm up and you get all the flavour anyway. But um, it's more about the nose when you when you drink it too cold. Um, um, and it's funny, you know, people also don't sort of knock a few degrees off of the temperature of a red wine in summer. And sometimes room temperature in summer is a little too uh, little too warm, so it doesn't hurt to whack your red in the in the fridge on a warm day just to take the edge off the uh, off the temperature. About seventeen right. degree temperature for red wine. Yes, beautiful. So the Ponding First Session, you've called it a perfect starter for a drink in the sun with friends. So if I knock of it midday, 11 o'clock in Queensland, and you know, I've got the afternoon to myself, I just crack open one of these. So what can I eat with this, Benny? What would it go well with? Look, traditionally, Sauvignon Blanc is great with cheese, particularly goat cheese. Um, you got me. Some red wines struggle with cheeses, like mould cheeses or, or braise and canaways, whereas the Sauvignon Blanc really does work exceptionally well. Um, fresh oysters is perfect with the acidity of the Sauvignon Blanc and the, um, and the, and the oysters. Um, uh, things like one of my favourites, when, I, when I, I worked in Greece for a while making wine and finished the day and when I was working in Greece, I wouldn't bother drinking wine much. It would be a cold <laughs> beer, but Sauvignon Blanc goes with Saganaki, like grilled, you know, grilled halloumi. Um, Yum. it's spectacular with that. A little bit of squeeze of lemon on the halloumi and, um, a glass of Sauvignon Blanc. You can't beat that really. 
Indeed. We love the Ponting first session, the Adelaide Hills, of course, the premier region for Sav Blanc. And if you want to pick some up, do yourself a favour. Go to pontingwines.com.au and just for our listeners, use the code SEN at checkout for free delivery on all orders, Ponting Wines. Dot com dot au. Fantastic to catch up as always, Benny. Best of luck to the Aussies. The first session about to get underway. We'll speak next week. Very exciting. Here is Ben Riggs from Ponting Wines, 0457 736 736. Is it wrong to say, you know, I think, it, you know, some people put the ice in wine. Does anyone out there do that? Please tell me you're not one of those that put ice. Maybe you put it in the, in the cask wine, the old cooler bar, the goon. I could accept it, but not in something decent like a nice first session's ponting wine. To the open line we go. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Hello, Pedro. G'day, George. How are you going? Good. Sounds like you're at the pub early, my friend. Mate, now I'm on, I'm on a train going to a Christmas party, actually. <laughs> oh, good. Hard news. Not in a quiet carriage, <laughs> clearly. I just want to make a quick comment on Lizzie. Um, mm. People are saying it's a political comment, and by definition... I believe that's supporting a certain view or a side, one way or the other. These comments are innocuous. They're not, they're not political for mine. They're just comments. And I, I can't see how they're that big a deal. Do you know where I'm coming from there? Yeah. Well, this is the thing. It's a bit of a blurry line. He's saying it's not political, it's humanitarian. People are saying because it's referring specifically to what is happening on the ground in Gaza, that makes it political. I, I get it, but it, it's pretty inoffensive. It's actually very unifying what he's trying to say. Um, you know, and, and, and as we said before, we want our athletes not to be robots and uh, um, be outspoken. And as soon as they do take a tiny bit of a stance... We shoot them down, kind of at both ways. Mm. You know, it's, if it's inflammatory, yeah, I get that, but this is not that. And I think you can always treat these okay. things on their merit rather than sort of have a blanket approach as to what can and can't be said necessarily. And you don't want to be robots and yeah, you can't divorce the two. And let's not pretend you can as much as we'd like to. I mean, if it was to write something like, uh, let's all be kind to each other, you know? take care of each other is that where does it stop if it's not um advertising one side of an argument or another i think it's fine i think it's fine yeah i'm inclined to agree enjoy your christmas party be responsible won't you pedro always thanks jules thank you mate. 1300 01 11 70 we heard from shane richardson he spoke to sats and woogie on sports day yesterday and of course we took his press conference live at 11 o'clock uh, after he was installed, well, after the, the changes of board level the day before, and he's now the interim CEO. What's interesting, Adam Pengilly, a good article in the City Morning Herald today. So we know about the $75 million centre of excellence that opened in Concord last year, and he was asked, Richo, to address where the future of the Tigers lay. He was asked about the importance of Campbelltown, and he said, if you look at where the growth is of this club, it's massive. We've got to not only be doing things in that area, we've got to be seen to be doing things as well. I don't think we've pushed our own barrel about how much we're doing out there and what staff we've got to do it. At the end of the day, it's crucial to the growth of this club. So he sees, or oh, it's writing in the wall, it's reality, isn't it, to ensure the future of the West Tigers, crucial to the growth of the club. People talk about Penrith, magnificent area, 8,500 juniors. Parramatta has 6,000. He says, we've got more. If you're taking Camden right through that area, massive junior network that they need to pick up. So it's a major focus for the Tigers. I love this line, though. 
Always love to rushes in a hot dog at Leichhardt, but at the end of the day, the growth of the club is in that Campbelltown MacArthur area. It is as simple as that. Unequivocal from Shane Richardson. Unequivocal. So there you go. I love it. Can you still get rushes at Leichhardt? I don't know. I haven't bought a beer at Leichhardt ever. Rushes in a hot dog at Leichhardt. At the end of the day, the growth of the club is in that Campbelltown area. Hey, Jules. A couple of years ago, I started putting reds in the fridge and I found it took the edge off. It's quite refreshing. We probably drink our reds too warm and drink our whites too cold. I reckon green keeping rooster. Statsy, ice in wine is worse than sauce on eggs. Boom. I agree, Statsy. You know I'm not a big fan on sauce and eggs, only if they're just on the plate. But ice in wine. Do you ever go to the clubs back in the day and people order like the bourbon and coke and, and those people would just put their hands and rip the ice out and chuck them on the floor? You're kidding. Where's the sympathy for the Jewish people killed by Hamas on October 8, says Matt. Well, he did say, he doesn't say one life's more important than the other, focuses on the killing of innocents. That's what the focus is, and that applies to both sides. That was his message. Another one saying his boots lettering in Palestinian colours, not a political statement, don't treat us like idiots, said Botany Danny. It is in relation to that. Nobody's denying that. But the message, by and large, is saying, OK, well... No one's condoned. You know, you can be pro-Palestinian and anti-Hamas. We need to make that differentiation. What about Rich Out the Tigers? I'm giving it six months. It's got Eddie Jones written all over it, says Matt. Well, he did say, what did he say yesterday, Rich? Well, six months, we'll see how we go in that time. Maybe they'll sack me. I'm not sure they will. Not sure they will. Dan says, uh, go to the steak sanger with a lot. Bacon and egg, garlic, aioli. Or barbecue on Turkish bread with a nice red. Okay, so steak sandwich with a lot. So st- hang on. Steak sandwich with bacon and egg. Sounds like a bit of overload there, Dan. But tell you what, it's right up my alley. Garlic, aioli, magnificent. Barbecue on Turkish with a nice red. All right, I'll do that. I will do that. A couple of years ago, oh, no, we've done that one, thank you. Uh, Jules, I find it very offensive towards Jewish people. It clearly says the Palestinian people deserve better. Do they not, though, Matt? Do they not? For me, it's completely out of order. I can see why people think he's basically supporting Hamas. But he's not. I mean, are we not intelligent enough to make that differentiation, Matt? Are we not intelligent enough? He just said, I'm not saying... He actually came out and said, I'm not saying a Muslim life is worth more than a Jewish life. He's very, very clear on that, Matt. Very clear on that. We'll take a break. Eagle Dick on the text line. I can't stand politics and cricket. I can't stand Cummins' woke view of the world. However, I'm not Muslim or Jewish. And on this topic, I think he has every right to what is effectively a bipartisan opinion. I don't think anyone is enjoying watching the vision overseas. He may be Muslim, but I think it's a very balanced, intelligent opinion. Good on him. Thank you for that, Eagle Dick. Appreciate your thoughts. Stuart on the open line. Good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? Very well. It's a hot one in power today, Stewie. Mate, it is very, very hot. It's hit 40 already. Is it? Tell oh, me. See, I'm based I'm not, in my um, Parramatta yeah, studio, and I've got to step outside shortly. Oh, no, so right. 40. Righto. Slip, slop, slap. I'm in Charles Street now, Todd. Um, oh, yeah. Tell me one thing. Just, let, just my, I'm, not, I'm not Jewish. I'm not Muslim. I've got friends on both sides. Mm. What, mm. what colour what colours are on his shoes? Yeah, so that's been raised a few times. You, you've got to look closely. So you're saying it's the colour of the, the Palestinian flag, so the the black, the well, white, the red, and the if red. He believes, if he believes in all lives matter, why not put a bit of blue and white on there as well and become a real, yeah. real citizen and go for real peace? But why do you think that the message is lost matters? because of that, Stuart? 
yeah, do you think the message is 100%, 100%. lost? Hundred percent. Because yeah, I think the message is, is lost. Defi- yeah, I mean, I think that's don't, debatable. Don't, I'll, don't, I'll get your point. If you go on, don't take sides. Go for a solution. Don't go for division. Because what if Jewish people go to the cricket? Do they want to see that? Do you think it's divisive though? If uh, Kawaja set out, think, basically I, I, he just wants I, I to stop the death is. of innocence. I, I, and I, I got, I know a lot of Jewish people, Stuart. A couple of my dearest friends are Jewish, yep. and they don't too. like what's happening yeah, in terms too. of retaliation. No, so they, they would they not, absolutely not be offended by that, Stuart. They would not be offended by it at all. They'd well, agree. In I fact, they do agree with the message. Don't you agree? He should put a bit of blue and white on his uh, on his cricket shirt. Wouldn't it help? I don't. Th- well, I don't think it anyway improves the message necessarily. Because he's coming from position Fair of a Muslim enough, person, pirate. right? Yeah, I, I, I know I what you're saying, Stu. I, I, I know what you're saying. I love him. I love, I, love, I love all the Muslims, love all the Jews. I love them all. I've got no issue. Your program's good. They're all good. I work with Jews and Muslims every day. They're all great people. There's an issue in the world. I reckon Muzi could be a beacon. I reckon Muzi could be well, a beacon. I think he is. I hope. Yeah, I, I give him that is. much credit because he is. he is good. So, Stuart, you know, I've got to run. Put a bit of blue and white on there. Good on you. Have a great day. On you, Stuart. Thank you so much. Look, I said this at the top of the show. You know, Hamas atrocities against Israel Republic, repugnant, horrific, deserve to be condemned. No, but this indiscriminate retaliation is equally horrific. And of all the deaths in Gaza, 41% are kids. Let that sink in. I think that's a point that Kawaja is trying to make. We'll take a break, come back and wrap things up. What a show we've had today. Let's tidy up a few more texts before we let everyone go. If ICC are banning political symbolism, why are cricketers allowed to wear poppies and have commemorations? After all, war is an extension of politics. That's from Tony. Uh, Box Hill Raider, since when did a player's message on their shoes stop anyone from enjoying the cricket? Talk about a mountain out of a molehill. Thank you, Box Hill Raiders. Uh, Raider, these blokes whinging are silly. You wouldn't even notice the message on his shoes. Dying another hill, bloody hell, says Dunny. And then KW2, Jules, whenever a professional athlete does something wrong, everyone piles on and says, they're supposed to be role models. When Ulsman Kawaja acts like a role model should, standing up for the voiceless, he gets told to shut his mouth. People can't have it both ways. Simon, thank you very kindly for your words. You don't get involved in political debate. You hate the way extreme left and right side of politics divide us. Uh, That can certainly happen. That's why I don't listen to the propaganda, don't watch the news anymore. And on and on it goes. And let's hope we get a good test. All the best to Jimmy Barnes and family. Let's hope he has a speedy recovery. Thank you for that, um, 853. And where can I find a replay of Shane Richardson on SEN last night? Just go to the website, Podcasts, Sports Day. You can hear it on the full show podcast. I've loved this program today, everyone. It's great that we can have robust and respectful discussion on the SEN network, and long may that continue. Thank you to everybody for your contributions to the show. Thank you to Kurt Mann, Simon Kadich, Laurie Horesh, Ben Riggs, Maestro, and 2AM Tommy. Come on, the Aussies in the cricket. I'm Julian King. Catch you tomorrow. Have a great Thursday afternoon.